Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about attention whores. And this, actually, I made the art for this podcast, I don't know, a month and a half ago. Because um, I got really irritated with something that was happening in my comment section on my website. Um, but anyways, uh, one of the things I've, I've always said, and I always will say, that writers are born. The desire, um, instinct, and need to write comes with you. Um, it's always there. Uh, I think most writers um, start telling themselves stories at a very young age to entertain themselves, uh, to entertain others. I was known um, in my family as a storyteller before I could even like actually write. And I would make up crazy ass stories to tell my cousins and my aunts and uncles. And my uncles really enjoyed them because they were high a lot. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, but there is another breed of writer and fandom that I want to talk about. And I don't want to say that th these kinds of writers are different from me when it comes to the root of their inspiration. But I will say that they post their work online for an entirely different reason than I do. I, I love my words. And when I, um, when I finish a project and I put it on my website, I'm just excited to share it. I, I, I feel like there's somebody in my audience who's really going to enjoy it and connect with it. And that's what I want. That's all I want. I don't need comments. I don't need kudos. I enjoy comments. I, I, I like the little like button on RT. I, I don't actually have one on my site. I think that works. Good fucking jetpack. Anyway. <laughs> Um, someone asked me once if I could install like a, a like system or a kudos system on my site. Um, and I've, I've tried, I, it's just not, I don't care to, it's just, a, none of those plugins work right anyways. And so it's not, it's not important to me. Um, I, I look at my stats, um, but I look at my stats because my statistics, uh, play into how much I have to pay for my website. Um. So I need to know what kind of traffic I'm generating um, across all the sites that I maintain because it impacts how much I have to pay <laughs> mm -hmm. quarterly for those websites. And so the statistics are, that's where the statistics matter to me. And it's one of the reasons why I post them, um, why I posted them this year in Minion Headquarters. So let people who donate know, oh no, 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 it's not a flat rate. Um, to let people know who donate what they're supporting. You know, I think that's that kind of transparency is fair. Um, there is there is flat rate like up to a point. Um, oh God, how much is it? It's uh, with with the packages you get, you can get a certain amount. Um, but once you hit a certain amount of traffic, they're going to charge you a huge amount if you don't get an upgraded plan. So, um, so like, yeah. it's like you like it's like kind of like, a, like a, it's not really a cap because they don't cut you off but you know how like when you had like 500 minutes on your phone and you did 600 minutes one month and you got this huge bill that that's what could happen so i monitor the stats to make sure i'm staying within my with within my package that i'm paying for um, so that's why stats are important and that's the only reason stats are important so i don't actually post um I never posted to be popular or a BNF. Um, I never, that was never, 
that was never my goal. So whenever I encounter somebody who is looking to audience build, I don't actually know what to do with them. I don't know how to, to, to tell them that that's not something I'm concerned about without sounding like I'm a snot who's judging them. Well, I mean, and the thing is, there's different kinds of pe- of reasons people are looking to audience. So some people are new, right? And it's a, and they're like, I don't. I'm putting my stories up because I want people to read them. I, I want to. Sh- it's more like I want to share what I've done with people. But I don't think, and I hear this from people, but I don't think anybody's reading them. How do I get people to read my story? And sometimes that's a function of how your summary is written. Um, that's a function of where you're posting. It's a function of. Um, are you involved in, in, there's a difference between reading fan fiction and being involved in fandom. And to a degree, being involved in fandom builds readership faster than just randomly posting on an archive and just posting fan fiction. It is a different approach, right? I actually had a whole, I did a whole post because somebody asked me about readership and how I, how I could build readership when I decided to leave AO3. But then there are people who have readership, but all they care about is getting more. More, more, more. I want more. I want more. I want more. And it's like, why? Well, that is the that is the kind of author that this podcast is about. They post for attention. They post for validation. Um, and unfortunately, they breed a kind of reader in those circumstances um, that I can't stand. They over-involve their readers in their process. They conduct polls to see how a plot is going to go. Oh my God, why do you do that? Um, they they blackmail their readers. Like, okay, if I get 25 comments, I'll post a new chapter. Or I have to have 100 kudos before I post anymore. Um, so they're blackmailing their readers for attention. And if I see that even on a story that's been completed... Like they blackmailed their readers in the past, even if it was a decade ago when, when they did it. I know about the fic. I'm done. I don't want any part of you or, or what you're doing. I don't, I don't know. I'm not interested. None. No part. I don't care how good your story was. I, I, but see, the thing is, is they, and because they involve their readers in their process with, you know, oh, tell me what you would like to see next or participate in this poll. They create a reader who thinks they're entitled to intrude on the process of every single writer they come across in fandom. And then when they come across a writer like me who does not need or want their opinion um, and finds no value in their opinion, they lose their shit. Yeah, and you're entitled. They think you're entitled for just for not valuing what their unsolicited advice like okay so while i do think that writers are born i think there are some people who write and post in fandom strictly for attention if they if they would not write if they couldn't get attention well um i think that kind of that that to me is not somebody who is um a writer honestly okay i'm gonna say it if 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 lack of attention would make you put down the pen you're not a writer no, I just, I, it, I mean, maybe that's judgmental. I don't know, but, um, and, and you know, I honestly don't care. I, I've had that kind know, of in the folks. professional arena. There are writers who, um, there are published authors who who write, who write for the joy of it, who write for the word, and then there are those who who write strictly to get paid. And I think people, <clears throat> that's the road to a very ugly circumstance. 
I think anytime you do something creative and you only do it for money, that you are, um, it's a corruption. I mean, I don't know how to say it. It's just, um, it's a corruption. Yeah, there was a, there was a whole kerfuffle at one point. And actually, this has happened multiple times. So I'm not trying to single anybody out here. But somebody was um, asking for some advice. This was not on this server. It was a long time ago about how to monetize their fan fiction, about how to create a Patreon, what were the logistics of it, or create a, there's some other artist thing where you can get money. Um, and basically, people were like, whoa, whoa, slow your roll. You can't do this. Um, and they got really bent and said basically that they couldn't keep spending wasting this time with fan fiction and they weren't going to get paid. Now I felt like that reaction said a lot about why they why they were writing, why they you know like like well why are you here? Because and the thing is I know pro writers, people who have published repeatedly that they're you know and there's been a huge implosion in book sales you know it's it's mm -hmm. there's so many writers self-publishing is torch the market and yet there are people who keep writing and they keep submitting their books because they love to write and they don't even let the fact that they may sell 10 copies of a book 10 copies folks but they keep writing and they don't let it discourage them because they understand that that sales isn't necessarily a metric of how good the book is didn't you didn't you tell us a uh um, a while back on the podcast about um, somebody who'd written a book, a, a, seri a series of books about Navy SEALs as the main characters that had never done well. And then yeah. when SEAL Team 6 brought in, boom. Um, yeah. $50,000 all, in a week. Yeah. The, all of a sudden, all of her books started selling and they'd been on the market for a while. And um, some of them years. Some Sometimes that's just the way it goes. Sometimes the market is just like that, right? Stuff doesn't sell because it's not what people are 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 reading at that time. But writers keep writing; they keep going; they keep doing it. And um, you know, somebody was posting in that group that shall not be na named once about um, the Valdi group. About although I think we've got two two Valdi groups now. Shit. But anyway, Valdi group, <laughs> Valdi group, the original, not the not the not the resurrected with the. <laughs> <laughs> with the no-nos. The no-nos, Valdi. We're talking about the original. Um, they, that, somebody was posting about how that their, 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 their OTP was this rare pair and they loved it and they spent all their time writing it, but like nobody was reading it and they had like these six loyal readers, but it just wasn't enough for them. And, and so they felt like they needed to branch out and write something else, but they just couldn't find any joy in writing any other pairing. And she wanted advice for how to, how to find joy in something she didn't like so that she could get more attention. And that's what it was. I mean, she was saying so she could get more readers, but let's be real about what she was saying so I can get more attention. Because she wrote something, she wrote a rare pair that everybody loved, that all her readers loved. And she, they read faithfully read everything she wrote and faithfully commented on everything she wrote because she was the supplier of the thing they couldn't get anywhere else. They were devoted but it wasn't enough for her. She wanted more. She wanted more readers, more attention. And so she's asking for advice about how to write stuff she wasn't interested in writing so that she could have more attention. And I, my brain just goes, not a writer, attention whore. It's like I get, my, my brain classifies somebody who talks like that as not a writer, attention whore. And, I, and, and that, yeah, that's judgmental. But I've told you guys, I, in, this, in this head, it is a, it is a judgmental zone. I, I'm careful what comes out of my mouth. But. 
what's happening in my brain is not always um, <laughs> fit for public consumption. Well, honestly, you know, even like on a professional level, uh, I have in my past been extremely put off by people who write for money. I mean, uh, you pay, yes. But if you only write for money, if that's your only motivation, I don't have time for you. And I said once in a um, in a writing group that I was um, presenting a um, 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 I was talking about uh, they asked us to talk about my process, like you know, character creation. And so I was doing that, and we're talking about characters. And one of um, it was a re relatively new participant to the group. She'd been there a couple of months. She asked me how um, how a character like um, Harry Potter is created, and I was like how do you create a child? And she says, no, how do you create a moneymaker? I said, I have no idea. And I don't care to know. I, I think that a Harry Potter situation comes along once in a generation. And the writer who stumbles across it is just very lucky. But to set out to create a moneymaker. Is that, you know, the only way close. to do that. <laughs> the only way, the only way, but the only way, to, the only way to do it is, in my opinion, is these are people who are harvesting. What if, what if these people who have made money done well, and how do I do that? So it feels like they're trying, and I don't know. I guess if you're just trying to leverage like marketing techniques, okay. But sometimes people go to the degree of trying to leverage their actual story ideas, right? And that it's like oh, that's not a writer. That's somebody who's just trying to leverage what somebody else has written. The fact of the matter is that Harry Potter as a character is, well, bless his heart. In, in canon, he's he's not particularly interesting. No, his circumstances actually are a lot more interesting than he is. And so... Actually, his circumstances are fascinating. And that's what I think what we're all drawn to. Right. But I have to do a lot of character work on Harry Potter to, to write him because... Um, I don't write him. I make him three. I mean, he's boring. And people like, why are you your unicorn that way? Here's the thing. Harry Potter wasn't my unicorn. Hermione Granger was. Was. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some attention whores ruined it for her. <laughs> I'm saying it. I don't, I don't care if anybody gets butthurt about me calling them attention whores. But, you know, and see, the attention whore syndrome isn't just in writers. It's in readers, too. Readers, um who assume a um, a level of relationship with a writer that does not exist. And then they get bent with you when you don't give them the attention that they deserve. Yeah. There's a reader. When you, when you don't reader. find value in their opinion. I promise you, I don't find value. Well, so, I mean, I, I, I can't say I find no value in any readerly opinion because there have been readers who have left some really, honestly they've seen things in my work that i didn't even think i put there it's like wow look at me um <laughs> and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it's like they pick up on themes i did not intentionally try to explore but they just you know they just came out that just sometimes it just happens a reader who sees the nuance in your work is worth their weight in gold and it's very touching when somebody sees things that um yes i I put there, but let's like I consciously planned it out. It's just sometimes these things just that's the way the writing happens. That's that's the magic in writing is that it just it just comes out. Sometimes things just come out that way. But anyway, so sometimes when a re readers see that kind of thing and they see the nuance.
Honestly, something that very frivolously that's not even important to me really touched they share that with me. I value that. I really value that they share that. Somebody shared with me something today about honestly one of my most criticized story that that um, um the story is beautiful decline, which is my Tony um Denoza Lucifer story. That I got I got a lot of flack on that story. It kind of like killed my buzz on it. And I actually wondered why I didn't consider it for the established relationship challenge because I had such a hard time coming up with the plot. It's because of the I didn't want to go through round two of I'm not going to read this story. <laughs> it's like, right? Because I don't care. Um, but so somebody just reached out to me and said, you know, just some of the uh, conversation I had about religion versus the divine and stuff really spoke to them, and um, and the nature of God kind of thing. And I I don't think I've ever had a comment like that on that story. And um, it just it was it was it was a really good moment for me, and I really appreciated her insight and how that spoke to her and what she shared with me about it. And so I I, I can't I'm not saying I don't ever value a reader's opinion, but when somebody feels negatively about my work or they feel negatively about how I portray a character, no, I really don't value that opinion. I really don't because the people that I invite into my circle to critique me, I value their opinion. Because when they tell me there's a problem with what, what I'm doing, I'm going to do something about it. If I don't know somebody's, people. she is one of those people. If I don't value somebody's, um, if I if I don't know somebody's credentials or whatever, their opinion means nothing to me in terms of their critique of my work. There's a reader who's very prolific in her commenting across the, I would say the whole crime drama segment, and even probably into the Stargate franchise stuff. I've seen her comments on a lot of. Um, fandoms that I write in. But I've seen them over on AO3. And we all, like everybody who writes in a crime drama, like knows who she is. And inevitably, two or three times a story, she'll come down from on high and dispense her wisdom about your story. And um <laughs> wow, that says so much already about how much you value her opinion. <laughs> dude, dude. I just <laughs> um and sometimes if you somebody somebody will say, Oh, I got this comment from somebody today, and it was just so this, this, or this. And people just from the tone of the comment, people will guess that it's her. They're like, oh, were you visited by the this and this? And it's like, yeah. Um <laughs> No, I don't I don't value those kinds of comments. I don't care. I don't care if she likes my work. I don't care if um I just don't care. Because I don't know what her qualifications are. I don't know if she's, I don't, there was somebody who told me once that they were qualified to judge my work, basically. I made an assertion that, you know, if I don't understand your qualifications, I don't remember what I said. I was making a joke that I'm going to need to see your curriculum vitae before I'm going to take your opinion, whatever. She decided to tell I me. I mean, no. in some circumstances, I actually would like to see your resume. <laughs> but even if I did, that doesn't mean... I'm going to actually value your opinion. But anyway, I said that jokingly. So they actually sent me their qualifications and told me their experience. They told me, you know, it's just stuff about all the, their qualifications and, and that the degrees they had in, in various things associated with English and writing and stuff. And they did this, this, and this. And they were a writer themselves since I, according to them, only value a, writer, a writer's opinion. Um. If they were actually a writer themselves, they wouldn't have been writing this to you. Right. So, well, anyway, they sent me links to their work. And, you know, because sometimes I can't resist a good dumpster fire. I went and checked that shit out. 
<laughs> did you leave like, did you leave constructive feedback? I did not because I actually don't do that no matter how much somebody pisses me off. But um the, the problem with that is that it for me to have taken her her criteria seriously at that point and her links to her extensive fanfic whatever i i was gonna need to see like the best writing ever i'm like my god you've head hopped four times on the first page you've got dialogue tag issues basic construction issues no you're not qualified to give me an opinion you just sank (laughs) yourself by giving me your resume what does it matter with you (laughs) you should have kept that shit to yourself so she'll probably hear this podcast and I'll hear all about it. Like, I cannot believe. Yes, yes, you can believe. Um, actually, you know, the thing is, there are some people, I've never outed anybody by name on the podcast or on Facebook. or I've never included anybody's name with their trollish comments. Um, but, you know, sometimes some people deserve it. Some people really deserve it. But I still haven't done it. So. I haven't done it yet. I'm keeping it in reserve. Just saying. Although I think it's people show their ass in public, I'm not sure how they could, they could possibly think they're entitled to privacy. But whatever, right? Um, it's called a beautiful decline, and isn't it on your site? It's on Evil Author Day. It's on, and the only reason it's on Evil Author Day is it is completed. Is because when I wrote the story originally, I had planned um, it to be part of a three arc story series. And I was not certain that I wanted to continue with it. And until I was certain of the direction, if I was going to just leave Beautiful Decline the way it was, and in which case, and, and not ever write any more on it, I felt like I might want to add a couple of scenes. Or if I might ever pick up pick it up again. Like, you know, until I made a decision, I didn't want to actually put it on my site. So, because I thought it might change. So that's why it's on Evil Author Day. But the story as it is, is complete. It's not a, it's not a work in progress. I actually have a couple of stories on Evil Author Day that are complete, but they're sitting on EAD because sometimes I won't put a story on my site till I know what I'm going to do with it in in the long term. Well, when it comes to Brad, all of Brad's comments were public on my site. <laughs> yes, and we I mean, that's how I found about Brad. I just went over to her site and, you know, went to the 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 story part, the story she had she had just recently posted and went to the comment section. There was Brad just plain as day. But I don't share, I mean, I've I've never shared the name of the person who um who uh used their actual real live email to send me a death threat, included their fandom name. I mean, I've never shared that. Yeah. It threatened to cut my head off. And they, they would have they would have deserved. Um I mean, I, I had to go unfriend them on Facebook. Because <laughs> they were on my Facebook. Some people, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, so, okay, so I had a point in that whole ramble. Um, I do sometimes. I talk. I think sometimes there's probably a couple people who read my stories who probably have gotten like their feelings hurt a little bit when we talk about. I don't care about a reader's opinion, and I should say I don't care about a reader's negative opinion. I really don't, because there's nothing I can do with it outside of the stuff posted on Evil Author Day. The stuff on my site is complete. And people's opinions of how I characterize my characters or um, that's just not, that's just not constructive. There's been in the entirety of the entire time, I, all, every comment I've gotten um, was there one, there's been a comment one time 
that ultimately wound up being constructive. And it, she didn't present it as a critique. It was more, it was a little bit, it was maybe a little bit of a passive aggressive critique. I don't know, but I'm not going to tell you guys what it was either, because that's going to open the door for people to talk to me about the characterization. But there was an aspect of characterization in my, actually, yeah, and not even characterization. It was an act, an act, an aspect of character choice, how I was choosing characters that we found off-putting. And honestly, rightly so. Honestly, rightly so. And it got me to actually reassess. And we've actually, actually, I won't say what she said specifically, but we did get to, we did talk about this indirectly on a podcast about um, how fandom views female original characters mm-hmm. and how, um, and how if it's a female original character, it's automatically a Mary Sue. Even automatically a Mary Sue. And yeah. it's because of that that like writers, especially writers who came up in fandom when I did, were trained practically, almost browbeaten not to write female original characters. That all your OCs had to be male. And her comment was obliquely about the fact that it was a sausage fest in one of my stories. And it was. But I hadn't considered it. I hadn't looked at it. I hadn't looked at why until she left that comment. And it was a little negative. So that's the one the one time that I found a critique in any way useful. Um, and it was more because, and I didn't change the story because I don't, I'm not going to do that. There wasn't anything wrong with the story as it was, but it did get me to go back and look at um myself and how I write and how I cast my original characters and you know that I do have a default setting that if there's going to be an OC it's going to be a male OC and why why do I do that and I really thought about it I talked to offline and then we had the conversation about because him acts like females are either a Mary Sue or self-insert and you they basically told train us not to do that so I yeah I, I still, even though we're aware of it, still there's kind of sometimes that default muscle to, there's like this reflex to go, oh, I, my OC is going to be male. Um, there was a comment uh kind of threw me off. Um, not like off in a bad way, but oh, okay. It was um, about female um, background characters. Um, in um, Hold My Coffee, when John and Meredith go to dinner, um, for some reason, that I don't remember why I made both the chef and the server who comes to their table female. And someone commented on that part and said that it was startling and that they didn't realize how often background OCs are male until that scene. And I was like, that's probably really accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that a lot of my background characters are male. So I kind of, at that point, I kind of like was going to be like, I'm going to, if I don't need to make a character male, I'm going to make them female for a while. And so like I, I had three house elves in that, that have dialogue in Slytherin Black. Um, at first I, ha- I designated them all female and I'm like, okay, well, that's a little bit disproportional. It's like saying all the serving class in the wizarding world are all female. That's skewing the wrong direction. So I changed the gender. So I felt like I had a reason to kind of try to balance that out. So I made one of the house elves male. Um, but, you know, it's like people will pick up on and pick, pick at things in your work that either aren't there or that aren't there for, it's not like you put them in there for a negative reason. It's not, it's not like I made all of my OCs in one story male um, because I'm misogynist. That's not it. It's that's the way we were trained to, to do original characters. And 
I did I did look at that because of that comment and I did change the way I approach original characters because of my own assessment of why I had done that kind of thing. But in general, if people think I've got too many males in a story at this point as you know, I just I just at this point I don't care. Um, sometimes it's because the canon is male heavy. Actually most of the time it's because the canon is male heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Um and inserting a female character um can can often i mean it sometimes if it's male heavy like with say oh no with the hobbit um lord of the rings um the magnificent seven uh when the when the cast is male heavy um inserting a a female um original character can um or any any female character can be jarring and it can upset the chemistry of um the cast of characters and so it's a lot of work and sometimes i don't want to do the work <laughs> Sometimes you, you just want to write. I mean, you just want to write. That's it. You, without complication, without drama, you just want to sit down and write. You don't want to think about who you're offending or who you're not offending. You just you just want to write. Um, but anyway, so it's not the case of, like, I don't value my readers' opinions. I, I love to see what people get out of a story. Um, I just don't, do not care about people's critical opinion. Because I have people in my life for that. Well. Last night, not before last, whenever we had our podcast about, about toxic people, whenever that was, I I edited it recently, so it's kind of fresh in my brain. Um, talked about when you when you let somebody into your process, you give them the ability to to impact you in in ways that you might not even understand until that impact becomes negative. Yeah, and that kind of um I mean it can get really ugly. And so you have to be you have to be careful who you let into your process, whose opinion you value. I mean, cuz it can it can make things very difficult for you and it can also actually teach you really bad habits. Fandom is the worst for teaching writers bad habits. Oh, terrible habits. Some and I think sometimes those bad habits um spread because of the desire for attention well so and so is writing this so i should write it too because they're getting all these kudos and comments and i want kudos and comments so i'm going to tag my story just like theirs and put all the things they're doing in their story in mine to see if i can get more attention and maybe that's not even like a conscious thought maybe it isn't even that explicit in their brain but they but they go ahead and do it there's this thing it's going to be obscure for some of you. Um, I play Sims. I've been playing Sims for 20 years since the first Sims game came out. I own Sims 1, 2, 3, and 4. I am in it. I'm a Sims player. Um, and with Sims 4, I don't really remember Sims 3 too much, um, but Sims 4 has a big gallery where you can download um, Sims and you can download houses that other people have made. Well, one of the things that in the Sims gallery has is tags. And so you can tag your builds like with Tiny Living, which is the, one of the newer um, stuff packs where you can like just really popular tags. And what happens in the Sims gallery is if there's a really, really popular tag that's trending, people will use that tag on their stuff, whether it applies or not. And you'll go into like a house that has um, a, um, like, a, like say you're looking for tiny living houses. These are houses that are built on 32 squares um, or like a hundred if you're like a, like a micro to the, you know, to like a tiny house. Anyway, they probably don't make a lot of sense to anybody else. But 
because of this, there's a, there was like an influx of tiny houses that came in with the stuff pack for the builders and creators build, building these houses for you to download. And so if you click on the tiny living tag, you'll get all these houses. But you'll also get houses that are absolutely not tiny living. But tiny living is really popular and it's trending. So they're going to put it on their house or on their sim or or whatever or their their gym, their library, whatever they're they're putting out there, they're going to put tiny living on it so that it will be in that tag because it's popular. And I think in fandom that happens in that to avoid getting a lot of grief for not actually including this thing that they're tagging, they include it. So you get all these things that just like you get one story with ABO that is stupid popular. The next day you have a hundred. And sometimes somebody could something becomes popular because of who wrote it, right? Not because it's a great trope, but I mean, a skilled author can take a trope that is deeply problematic and make it really good. <sighs> and then it goes wackadoo. Some tropes are just, I just wish they would just die. Um, I do want, I want to backtrack a little about something that's kind of discussed in the, in the, um, in the, uh, chat room that I kind of missed earlier. Um, Another, I will, I will say there is an issue that writers kind of cause. Well, fan, it's not just writers, but fandoms cause of the. We talk about that, canon. The male canon characters tend to be dominant in a lot of shows, and or be the agreeable characters. A lot of times, female canon characters are either flat or sometimes just unlikable. Um, We've talked a lot on other podcasts about the issues with Black Widow's um, characterization, about how they just, they didn't really ever go anywhere with it. You liked her kind of at first, but then it was like, okay, you got to do something with this. She was a lot flatter until, um, until Endgame, honestly. Her characterization to me was just, there's nothing there. Um, and she was borderline unlikable at times. And I thought Endgame gave her actually some more depth that I had not seen with her before. <sighs> but anyway, that's, I don't want to go on an endgame rant. And they did rant. what they did. And they did what they did. I don't want to go on an endgame rant. But here, there's a thing that slashers, you got to own this for a long time, you know, in order to deal with male, sh in order to get the male characters together in the slash pairing of choice, the female obstacle to the slash pairing was bashed to hell and gone. Um, they couldn't just have them break up. They couldn't just have, I don't know, whatever. They, it just, there was never a graceful exit. It was, it was bash the character to fuck. It, it's, and if it, and if there was some basis in canon for that way that character was treated, it's like, okay. But a lot of times, slashers, there was no basis for the way that these female characters that were an obstacle to their slash pairing retreated it was just like wow dude wow and so you kind of got to own a little bit the the treatment of a female character sometimes in fandom is not kind um in a way that there's no basis for right um and there are some characters that are just written really badly um and sometimes they're treated badly by fandom not because they're an obstacle to a pairing but just because they were atrocious in the show uh, I think you can, and I have at times taken a positive view of some of the female NCIS characters, be it Kate or Abby or Ziva, but I also have taken a negative twist on their characters. It's because their canon actions, all three of them actually, were problematic 
in many instances. So depending upon how you want to explore a character, you can leverage canon some many times with these characters to take them either direction. Um, so sometimes, and this is this is something I kind of look at myself too as well and say, sometimes I think we need to develop these female characters more, kind of take them back because where where the canon did not take the time to develop them well, we could we could take them back. We could, you know, take back the female characters and do something better with them. Um, but like Kira said, that's sometimes that's work. It's a lot of work to take a character who has committed espionage and do something different with them. So sometimes you just don't want to deal with it. And you have to want to do that work. And I, I, I would rarely, I think, encounter an NCIS writer who wants to do that work because of the inconsistency, um, in NCIS canon. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't. I don't have a problem writing Abby in a positive way. I don't have, a, I've done it. Now, other times I've written her as being a, a tantrum throwing child, but I think she behaves that way. So, you know. Um, think about Ziva. Ziva's storyline is they left too many holes. And to bring her in as Aerie's sister was a stupid mistake because it made it look like Aerie killed Kate for Ziva. To make room for Ziva. And that wasn't, I think, an unintended consequence of their writing, or maybe it was an intentional consequence of their writing that they that, that, that they walked back because they thought the audience liked Ziva. And I some th- do. Yeah, I think well, I think she was a bigger hit with audiences than they expected. The feel when you're watching the show, the feel is that they didn't intend for her to stay around very long. Um, and then I think audiences responded to Cody de Pablo pretty positively and they're like oh well what do we do now so they had to walk back that whole zary um, um airy killed kate for ziva vibe because that's when i when it happened in Ken, i thought oh okay that's why kate's dead so ziva would have a place on the team um so you could that's a logical consequence of 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 what they wrote and what they put on screen um but then we were supposed to overlook that it's like we were supposed to overlook the fact that tim and ziva left Tony in the field without backup. Oh, it was just a joke. Don't worry about it. You're not supposed to take that seriously. I, and I'm Except sure... how could we not when they spend all that time abusing Tony? Right. And the thing is, is that yes, writers, writers could do a lot of different things. They could take back the characters. We, we talked about doing a take back of the Marvel characters and do better with them because clearly the MCU writers can't be trusted. We've talked about that. <laughs> and, and the thing is you could, you could take back all these characters and do better with them. You could do a basically a character driven fix it where you do, you treat the character better than Canon did and you do something. Can we go back to those AUs where they're all living in the tower, like a family? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Although sometimes I go read the one of those and I just it's still it's still hitting sour because all I'm thinking about is that fucking time travel. But anyway, um this here's the thing. We could. Authors could. There's a lot of things they could do, but they're not obliged to. So sometimes these comments of well, couldn't you do this or couldn't you have put Mpreg in here? Couldn't you have, you know, um done better with Abby? Did she have to be the bad guy in this story? Or couldn't you have yes. I could, I didn't want to, and I'm not obliged to. 
I'm not obliged to. Writing is something that makes me happy. And sometimes I do get passionate about something and I get all in on fixing something. And sometimes I just want to let my id go have fun and shoot Gerard Arjun in the head. I don't want to (laughs) redeem his character. I just want to kill him. Okay? I'm not obliged. Isn't he pretty much fucking unredeemable? In my opinion. I'm going to both. Yeah. The thing is, there's probably because I have a kind of kind of a problem solver and a plotter. There's not many problems that you couldn't put in front of me that I couldn't come up with a solution to. But it doesn't mean I want to. It doesn't mean that even if I did come up with a plot, because you guys have heard us plot some solutions and some crazy stuff. Just because I come up with a plot for something doesn't mean I actually want to write it. It doesn't mean I'm obliged to write it. And so I get sometimes I get these comments sometimes that are kind of like reader fatigue like couldn't you just do this couldn't you just i'm like i could don't want to i am sorry that you're tired of reading this character i'm sorry if you're right tired of reading abby written as a child you must be really tired of the show um because she's very childish in the show they they never let her character grow up and it was really weird because i think she's actually close to tony or maybe even older than tony yeah Uh depending upon how you how seriously you take what they eventually said Tony's canon age was. Um, but I think Polly Perrette is older than Michael Weatherly, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, yeah, the actress is older. Okay, so, but here's the thing, is that I, I've been tempted a time or two to point these, you know, beleaguered readers who are just, well, couldn't you just write Mpreg in Emergence? It was such a setup for it. I could point them at some of these authors who want more readers and go, here are readers. They are clamoring for dragons per- birth having babies. Go, write, write something. They will read it. <laughs> Good luck. Because they're never going to be satisfied. Never, ever. That's the thing. That's the thing about giving in to reader demand. Okay, say you give one reader what they want. Say Jilly goes and writes a sequel to Emergence where Tony has gives his dragon baby. Dude, <laughs> I can't dude, believe this came out of my mouth. Okay, let's say she does that. What next? No, seriously, what next? Where Where does her right to be creative end for you if you think that that is a reasonable request that she take on this reader's wishes for her story where does it end if i were to show how i'm not cowardly for (sighs) because that's like that's just straight up gaslighting that's like some kind of weird reverse psychology i'm gonna show show me you're not a coward by writing this like, How nope. about I show you I'm not a coward by punching you in your face? I'm ready to throw hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to be all in on the face punching. Um, but what I'm, that, that's the that, that's the thing because I said it I said it on one of the other podcasts that you cannot invest yourself in making readers happy because you can't make them happy. You can make one happy and infuriate a hundred who did not want to see Tony have Gibbs's dragon baby. I'm one of those people who would not want to see that. I would read it if she wrote it, but I'm not particularly interested in seeing, I mean, is it going to be an egg? (laughs) What's going to happen? Is this like a, like a, does he give birth as a dragon or does he give well, birth as a human? And is it is it going to be is it if it's a dragon is it an egg and does he have to carry it around and take care of it? Keep it that warm. Actually, 
that'd actually be cute. But no, <laughs> um, this thing is, if somebody asked me, like, how did they, somebody did ask me one day about emergence. How did they procreate back before they shifted into these human, human form? And I said, well, they had, there was live birth. It was an egg, right? So it conceivably, see, the thing is, is when, when the, when the wyverns shift into their dragon form, they don't have gender, right? They have their, their third gender, right? Their intersex in their dragon form. So conceivably, it actually is, Mpreg is implicitly possible in the universe already, but here's the thing. They would have to fuck in the dragon form, which you know some of those people are out there doing it. But aside from that, they have to fuck in their dragon form and then stay in their dragon form for a year. For a year. Oh. Right? Oh. If they shift yeah, back. Yeah, because in- you wouldn't want to be carrying a dragon baby in a human form. Right. So you sh- if you shift back into your human form, you lose your reproductive system. Your womb is going to go away. Which right. Because would- he's male. He's male in human form, but he's intersex as a, as a dragon. So he could bear live young. Any of them could. Any of, the, any of the wyverns could bear live young in their dragon form if they stayed in dragon form for a year, but they would lose the baby if they shifted back to human. I answered a reader that she was, she wasn't happy with that answer. But the thing is, it's implicitly that's how they gave birth. That's how they procreated before they had to go into hiding. Was they gave had live young, so it's still implicitly possible because they are fully wyverns when they're shifted. Do with that what you will. I'm not going to write it. Now the thing is, I have open, <laughs> I have open permissions for people if they want to actually use that world and they want to go write something in the emergence with the emergence world building, where somebody stays in dragon form for a year so they can have a baby. Whatever, I don't care. I mean, I have a creative suggestion though. Do a prologue with the dragon fucking, and then open chapter one with the birth. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the reasons why I actually don't write Mpreg and re- don't read it all that much is because I'm just, most Mpreg is about the pregnancy and I just kept Open chapter one after the birth. Like, not during the birth, but like afterwards. Like when they have a cute little whatever it may be. Wait, it'd be a dragon, wouldn't it? How yeah. They would have to teach, they're going to have to teach you how to be human. It it would it would, it would eventually learn how to shift. It it's the reverse of like werewolf babies, where they eventually learn how to shift into a wolf werewolf. It's like the dragon eventually learns how to shift into a human form. So you'd have two humans with a dragon. So they would one of them would have to pretty much stay in dragon form all the time to take care of the baby until it was old enough to learn how to shift. Yes, that's the oh. world build. That's the world building I plotted. I am not writing it. <laughs> Another tip. Make sure that both parents can lactate so they can feed the baby. <laughs> Saying. Um, I have no idea. I have, I, although I will say I did not figure out where dragon nipples are. So um, <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> you're totally on your own figuring that out because I did not go that far. Um, is it like a sliding scale system? And I've never used those words in that fashion. <laughs> I can't. Sliding scales. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Thing is, I don't mind answering reader questions about how would this work. I had a reader who was deeply invested in the color of the dragons in Emergence, the ones I didn't mention their color, what color they were. Deeply invested. And eventually she asked me what every character in that story that appeared, even by mention, what their color was. I was like, okay, well, I didn't mind answering that question. I mean, 
I don't mind people's investment. I don't mind people's curiosity. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told that I'm pathetic for not writing Impreg um, or a coward for not doing it. Because, yeah, that's me. Cowardly. Oh, that reminds me of a comment I got once on Hold My Coffee. In the last episode of Hold My Coffee, it is revealed that, Mer- that Meredith has a birth control implant. Um, and uh, I had a reader email me and say that I had, um, that in putting that one little sentence in the story, I had ruined um, my ability to have um, like future plot elements come up, come up around um, birth control and um, and accidental pregnancy. And so I responded back and said, no, honey, I didn't ruin anything. That was done explicitly. I don't make snap decisions about shit like that. I did that on purpose. Um, okay. Because I don't think Meredith, I mean, honestly, here's what would happen if meredith had an accidental pregnancy in pegasus and the circumstances that they were in she would get an abortion period but it's a matter and of i char- don't want to write that but as a matter of characterization why would you write a grown-ass adult having heterosexual sex either the male or the female who doesn't take birth control into consideration especially in the circumstances they're going to be in like they want you to write her that that'd be bad characterization they want you to write her without having a lick of sense. Okay. I'm not here for it, but you and know. Well, you know, but then they also, but you know, this this reader also um, commented early on in the series that I had cast a woman who was too attractive to play McKay. That's somebody who thinks that uh, David Hewlett's not attractive. Fuck them. But the other side of that is, is like they think that if McKay had been cast as a woman, in Stargate Atlantis, she would have been gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Because that's just... There's no way they would have cast a woman who's not traditionally attractive in that role. No way. Just not the One of the more stunning things I saw in Stargate Atlantis is actually they made one of the really attractive women on the show. They downplayed her looks. And I was like, what are you doing? It's the actress who plays Miko. She's beautiful. Yeah, she really but they, they put her in these big giant glasses and downplayed her looks. And I was like, okay. Because she can't be cute and smart. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly, Dart. It was it was very, it was very gross. But that wasn't the only racial stereotype they indulged in on Stargate Atlantis. Um, like for instance, that the actress who played Taylor, who I, I, Rachel, they um she couldn't have her natural hair. Um, and then they wouldn't let um, Jason Momoa cut his braids off. Well, he did, and they made him wear a wig because um, the dreads made him look alien. <sighs> and of course, they they dumped the the black actor who played Ford and made him a drug addict. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, there's some problematic elements there. It's like hugely problematic. Um, <laughs> and you can love you can love a show and still recognize the problematic elements. You know. Um, and and then do better in your. That's part of one of the things we can do is do better in our own fan fiction of for the things that bother us. You don't have to, but you can. It's an option. But back to these attention whore writers, <laughs> who who create who, who, readers who don't get to create television shows. Um, because we talk about those too. Because there are. I mean that that syndrome is not uh, central just to fandom. 
because there are plenty of professional writers who only write for money and attention and there are producers in hollywood who who do what they do strictly for attention and money not because they love it not because they they um you know um and i think that that queer baiting um in shows comes back to that attention 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 money 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 um and they leverage the audience's desire for these things um to make money and they know they can draw an audience in with you know chemistry between two men because it's just not a dynamic we ever get right not never but pretty damn close to never uh and so they know they can draw the audience in and so they put it in even though they know they're not going to deliver um and that's why, and, and so audiences get mad, and rightfully so, because they get tired of being strung along. But anyway, so these, there are these writers who just, they, they're not, they're not in it to the right for the writing. They're in it for what they can do for attention. They're after the popular tropes. They're after the um, popular pairing. They're after um, just whatever the popular tags. I mean, which is just, or the popular way of tagging, or. Um, you know, I have to think there had to be some early on Teen Wolf author who, who, who did that real, really bizarre tagging that way of a bazillion tags, and people thought it was a good idea because of the popularity of that author, not because they actually thought a bazillion tags was a good idea. Because it's not. Just FYI, not being able to actually figure out what the fuck the story's about is not a good idea. And tags are not a substitute for a for a fucking summary. No. Why when, is that a thing? When it's you just, get oh, when you so get a story that's like, you know, 250k and there's a little excerpt of dialogue for the summary and then a wall of tags, what are you supposed to do with that? I'll say it is rare. It is rare that a tiny excerpt of dialogue is actually telling you what the story's about. It is rare that that is that that is the that is the case. Um and yet the vast majority of stories I run across, especially in Teen Wolf these days, are their summary is a little excerpt of of, of the story. No, I would say ninety nine percent of the time it is not at all what the story is about. But there there is occasion there are occasions when the author has picked the line, the bit of dialogue that ex- that is encapsulates the entire story premise. And then when that happens, I'm like, yes, right? I get what this story is about from that one tiny paragraph. I get it. Most of the time, I don't. Most of the time, I'm just like, I have no fucking clue what the story's going to about. And I'm not sure I want to play Fick Roulette tonight. Which is fine. I you won't know? even read all the tags. You know what I want to see in tags? I want to see a list of um, the most evident tropes in your fic. And it would be great if you also warned me for no beta. Um, or just say Grammarly is my beta. Because at least if you <laughs> tell me you've run it through Grammarly, I have a, I have a tiny bit more confidence. But what I don't want to see are warnings in the tags. I want the warnings in the warnings. Well, they only give, um, they only have like four, maybe five system warnings. So anything else you have to warn for in the tags. But my feeling is that the, if you've got actual warnings, you know, that aren't either, I think the tags, the 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 system tags, sorry, the system warnings are char- major character death, rape, incest and underage i think that might be it there's a lot more i would that like would be to enough see. for me but they sometimes they'll bury that rape tag you know 50 tags down 
Right. And they'll say, you know, it'll say uh, author chose not to use archive, choose not chose not to use warnings. And then they'll bury the warnings deep in the tags. And it's just like. That is so rude. And that is attention seeking behavior. That's like that whole thing of, well, I can't warn for that because it'll ruin the surprise. Fuck you if rape is your surprise in your story. You're just, you're you're hiding it to get views. Mm -hmm. And that's disgusting. Or you're hiding it for reaction. Some of these people actually want a negative reaction. They do. They don't care what, they don't care what reaction they get. They just want a reaction. So they don't care what kind of attention they get, whether it's negative or positive. They just want the attention. So it's like they're trolls. So if somebody is, um, I don't engage with people. I, I've, I've told, said on the podcast one time, I kind of lost it with an audience, an author once who gave a very graphic rape all of a sudden by surprise, unwarned for. And then they said in the end notes, this is on fanfiction.net, that, um, you know, they, they didn't, they couldn't warn for it because it would have, you know, it was, it was the whole plot pivoted around this thing and then whatever. And I just, I think I got, I got massively triggered and I, I just went off. I went off. I don't even know what I said, but it, I'm pretty sure I questioned their, not only their intelligence, but their parentage, um, how much pot they'd been smoking. I mean, it just, it was not a nice, it was, it was not a nice email. I was upset, but it, since I didn't feel good the next day, I did not feel good about the fact that I went off on that author. Um, and some authors would well, be what very- I would say is if you're pivoting your plot on an explicit violent rape, you're a shit writer. And I don't care if that hurts your feelings. That too. Um, but the thing is, is, is there's there's two cases, there's two things that are come out of a situation like that with an author. Is either either they're doing it to get some sort of reaction, good or bad, and I was making them happy, or I contributed to just another person who um, whatever. So, but the thing is, either way, it just didn't serve me to write them because if they were happy with my blasting them for their shitty choices, then I've fed into their attention seeking behavior. So when I don't like something, I just quietly walk away from it. I just, just walk away from it. That's it. It's not, it's not rocket science. You just walk away. What I would say, someone said in the chat room, if you, if you want it to be a surprise, just pick author, choose not to warn. That's the thing. If you are pivoting your story on a surprise of major character death or um, incest or rape. rape or incest or um, or pedophilia, and you're not warning, and you're not warning for it because you want it to be a surprise, you are in fact a terrible fandom citizen, and I want no part of you. I don't want to read your work. I don't want you in my space. Especially if you write pedophilia. I don't want you in my space. If you read it, I don't want you in my space. I don't want you anywhere near me if you read pedophilia. Or if you write it. And I don't care if somebody's out there saying, oh God, Kira, you're being so judgmental. Yes, I am being fucking judgmental. It's a mental, it, it's it's a disease. And if you not, are aroused not, by pedophilia, you she, are a pedophile. And I want no part of you. She's not saying being judgmental is a disease. That was a very bizarre segue. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's a mental disorder because it is. But it's also a disease. It, it is a disease to me. It is. I, I, she's talking about pedophilia, not being judgmental. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Pedophilia is a mental disorder. Judgmental is a life choice. In my opinion. 
Yeah, judgmental is a life choice that I, that I embraced, and I'm fine with it. You don't have to be. It's not a kink. Getting your ass spanked is a kink. Spanking someone's ass is a kink. <laughs> Jeffrey Wayne. I embrace both of these things. But if it's illegal, it's not a kink. <laughs> so, but the thing is, there are authors out there who this is, um, they want this attention. They want the good, the bad. They want the, they, <laughs> there's an author I saw in, in, in the original group that should not be named, bragging about that she had the most comments of any story in her fandom, right? This was not a badge of honor. Her comment section was a dumpster fire of upset people, of her fighting with people, of arguments. It was, and so she feeds her comment section, right? She gets in there. She feeds people's dislike of her story, right? And it was, it was, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments of dumpster fire. And, and then she's bragging about how this wonderful stat that she's got of the most commented on story in, in her fandom. And I was like, yeah, but half the comments are yours. Not only are half the comments of yours, half the comments are, oh my God, what the fuck is this shit? Or, oh my God, I can't believe you stole so-and-so's idea and did this with it. Or, oh my God, you know, it was most, it was like, it started with, oh my God. Um, whenever I see an author who responding to every single comment on AO3 all I can think is they're padding their comment stats which I know that probably isn't true for everybody because there's this mentality from a long time ago where authors need to respond to every single comment like they owe like there's some kind of equivalency there like that this reader has read the work and responded so now you have to go back and, and tell them thank you like it's equal like all the hundreds of hours you invested in your story is equal to the two hours they spent reading it and now you owe them something no no you don't it's not how that works what a bizarre thing what a bizarre thing yeah I actually had someone get bent with me for not responding to her comment because she left a comment it was a very nice comment um on my site, this was a long time ago, like 10 years. Um, and then she sent me an email because I didn't respond, telling me how ungrateful I was. So I replied to her email, um, thank you for spending an hour and a half reading a story I spent six months writing. <laughs> Needless to say, it degraded me. This, the situation got worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just might. Um <laughs> The thing is, y'all, I, could, I couldn't tell you sometimes why sometimes I'll respond to a comment and sometimes, sometimes it's just somebody said something that sparked something in me and I just got to respond to it. Sometimes it's, I'm bored. I happen, maybe sometimes I'm in a chatty mood. Maybe sometimes it's four o'clock in the morning and all my bitches are asleep and I'm the only one awake and I'm approving comments on my site and I'm just going to yap at whoever's present. <laughs> and you're the lucky winner of my boredom. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. <laughs> and sometimes somebody says something that really touches me and I just I run a reply to it. And sometimes I'm really touched by something somebody says and I want to reply to it, but I'm also got old lady brain and I forgot, you know? So if I if you've ever commented on my site and I haven't replied, don't think your comment wasn't appreciated. Don't think that I and I may have actually intended to respond and I just either didn't get around to it or who knows because sometimes I put all my comments emails my comment notification emails in a folder because I can't deal with the world 
And I go back and, and when I go back to approve them, there's like several comments I want to reply to, but there's 50 comments that need to be approved on my site. And I just, it's just, it's, it's a bit much. <laughs> it's just like, I'm going to get through proving this and I'm going to move on. Um, and sometimes, okay, here's the thing. Sometimes I get insecure about something. Okay. Sometimes I put something out that I'm insecure about. It happens, but I do it anyway. Um, Cause I don't write for other people's approval. I write the stuff that I like and that makes me happy. But sometimes when you're trying something new, you feel a little uncertain. And I actually think one of the best things I've ever written, not, you know, it, one of not absolutely the best, but one of the best things I've ever written was, a, was a short story I did in December. It was my first Hannibal story. I was neurotic as fuck about that story. I was. I was freaked the fuck out. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe. Because that was like, for a lot of reasons. There were a lot of reasons why I was neurotic about that story. Not the least of which was new fandom. I think we all get a little weird the first time we post in a new fandom. And then um, it was also because I had I knew when I, when I tried so hard to stay away from Hannibal. I knew that if I started reading in that fandom, I was going to start writing in it. <laughs> And I was like, I don't know if I want to write in this fandom. I really don't know if I actually want to pick up. I helped her name that story. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Kira did help me name it. Um, and someone left me a comment that was really insightful. It really was like, um, really got everything. Really got everything I was trying to do with that story, and it meant the world to me. It did, and I, you know, I just really appreciated. Um, and this is when it was anonymous, so uh, they didn't know who they were talking to. Um, which, you know, is a weird way made it even better, actually. Um, there is something to be said for getting anonymous, you know, when you're anonymous, having readers who normally read you, um, read your work and go and really like it. And it's like you're thinking, do they recognize me? <laughs> do they know that was me? I think one of the more interesting responses I ever got to a story is that I pinch hitted for McShep McShep Christmas or something. Uh, something. It was a gift exchange and someone backed out. And so I wrote a little story. Um, and uh, someone, uh, it was posted anonymously. So it was either McShep match or, and anyway, someone responded when I put it on my site. I fucking knew this was you because it was so good. And I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's like you loved it when you didn't know it was me I'm really touched <laughs> <sighs> anyway yeah so I had you know I had a little bit of an emotional breakdown around that story because I'm like do I really want to go here do I really want to go there um, and then you know one of the first comments I yes, got on the yes, story she does want to go I there. yeah I, <laughs> I really did and then one of the first comments I got on the story was just somebody who really got it got what I was writing in like, what was that? Like 6,000 words or something. So, yeah. And that, so that really, that was great. It was really great. And I, I think I responded to that comment. <laughs> I, if, if I didn't, I intended to, but um, anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but um, entitled the attention horrors, which honestly intention horrors and an entitled author kind of go hand in hand actual author entitlement right like authors think they're entitled to something you know they think they're entitled to make money off of copyrighted characters they aren't they think they're entitled to your feedback they actually aren't 
okay? They're not entitled to anybody's feedback or comments or kudos. They are appreciated. And legitimately, the only, it is true, I've heard this said, and it is true, the actual only compensation a fan fiction writer can get is feedback slash and it's not compensation, by the way, if it's not positive, um, is is feedback and kudos or likes or whatever. That's really that's, that's true. That's the only thing you, way you can express your appreciation for what they've done. Um, but they're not entitled to it. They're not entitled to fifteen pieces of feedback per chapter. Otherwise, they won't post. It's so weird, but it, but it is part of the culture, and it creates something really ugly in readers um when you have authors behaving this way um it um it creates a what was that phrase we talked about the that we have a podcast that we pick we were gonna do illusions of helpfulness uh i think that was it illusions of helpfulness it's like they're creating yeah. this culture where readers get to be involved in the process and get to make decisions and get to be helpful, 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 helpful. And then they come across another, like they go to, you know, they, they go to another author and this author doesn't want that kind of in involvement and they get butthurt about it. And then they get abusive. Yeah. And I'm not saying that writers are strictly to blame for this because there are some people who come into fandom with that entitlement built in. They are entitled to own your work. Um, they do own your work. And fuck you for thinking otherwise. Um, and their opinion is immensely valuable. And you should sit and listen to it. And have, have and find immense um, inspiration and um, value in it. Do I have to? I mean, you know, they do. They, they think so. This, this level of fansplaining um, is honestly the most off-putting part. They're going to get into your story and tell you what you did wrong and tell you how to fix it and tell you why, you know, honestly, one of the worst things I ever encountered was this obviously middle-aged man telling me that I got the characterization of a 16-year-old girl wrong. Dude, really? Really? Yeah, because middle-aged men know so much about 16-year-old girls. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> delete. Like, what the fuck did you possibly know about the inner workings of a 16-year-old girl? I happen to have been one. I remember every angsty, terrible minute of it. My sister... You go on fanspining to me. Yeah, key, yeah, keep on. My sister got home just in time for me to say, yeah, what, is, what does a middle-aged man know about a 16-year-old girl? She's like, ooh. Like, I'm, sure, <laughs> she, I'm sure she's really questioning what the fuck we're talking about right now. <laughs> I am too, and I was here for the whole thing. You know, honestly, um, okay, someone says in the chat room, I was trained by fandom to believe that a thoughtful review was the best thing I could offer an author whose work I enjoyed. Getting over that was surprisingly hard. Um, I don't mind a thoughtful comment. Um, a comment about how um, a story impacts you personally. Um, uh, I don't mind that at all. What I do mind and what I think that readers need to get out of the habit of doing is offering feedback beyond their ability. Because nothing in fandom has taught you how to offer me um, advice on my craft. Now, you might come into fandom with that skill if you're um, a writer of some experience, if you've um, taken a degree in English, um, if you take, not English, writing. <laughs> because a degree in literature does not qualify you to give me feedback. <laughs> no. 
Because no. all a degree in literature does is qualify you to regurgitate other people's opinions. Because you aren't encouraged to have an opinion of your own about a work in, 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 in lit review. Not in any lit review I ever took. You're encouraged to have the professor's opinion. Which reminds me, one of the most interesting conversations I ever had um, is I, um, one of my, um, I had a short story in an anthology that ended up, uh, it, it, I had a student contact me about the story and about what I in, had intended for it because she was writing a paper on it. And I was like, well, that's just really super fucking flattering. So I talked to her about it. A couple weeks later, she gets back um, her grade is she got a C because apparently she'd gotten all of the, um, um, she gotten it all wrong. Did she get it all what wrong? What I was, no, she did not. Um, the, the, she'd gotten the theme wrong and da, 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 da. And I said, I'll tell you what, you tell your professor to email me and we'll have a conversation. Because this professor had her own opinion of what my story meant. Um, and because I, because the student didn't get her opinion down, then she was wrong. And so this professor, um, emailed me and asked me if her student had been in contact with, with me. And I says, yes, as a matter of fact, we had several conversations over Skype about the work in particular. And, um, you graded her deeply unfairly because I read her paper and she was spot on. And I don't know what you got out of it. That's your personal take, but you've let your personal opinion influence your professional um, duty to your student. The student got an A, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that pro that professor removed my work from her, um, from, from her curriculum as a result, which is fine because I don't like what she was teaching them about it anyway. <laughs> you know, the thing is, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Cause it's like, where is the line between thoughtful review uh, and, and it's a little bit hard to articulate even kind of sometimes what that is. But I... But then there are some people who confuse constructive criticism with pointing out your typos. Right, right. But the thing is, it's like, let's say, let's say that somebody finds the pace of a story of mine disagreeable, okay? If they actually understand pacing, literally, like actually understand pacing and how you build it in a story. So let's say they actually understand it. And they, they don't like my pacing. Does it mean my pacing is wrong? Or does it mean it's not just to their taste? Because sometimes some things are deliberately crafted with a different kind of pacing. Um, not everything, not every story should be crafted to pace like an action movie. I'm just saying, some things have a different kind of pace. So if they don't know my intention, how can they give me constructive feedback, right? Because you do need to know what an author intended with a decision or choice or whatever before you know if they did it quote unquote wrong. And I think that that's one of the things that's a little bit difficult for people to understand who actually might give great feedback um, is that your perception may not, it may be based upon what you think the author intended. And you just, the thing is, you just can't know. You just can't know. If you're not in the author's head, right, or you're not part of the circle of people that they talk to their work about, you can't know what their intention is. You don't know if the pacing is off. Um, now, there are some things I think that are observable, right? Like if an author is contradicting their own characterization, left, right, and center, not just canon characterization, but I mean their, their own characterization, they're contradicting it. 
maybe they this is somebody who could use feedback but i will say somebody who is very cavalier about characterization is unlikely to take any of your feedback on board so you're just wasting your breath um but the fact of the matter is is if you are injecting your opinion without being asked then you're wasting your time because again, you don't know, you just cannot know what an author intends. You can't know. Um, on the other hand, if an author asks you, okay, and some do, some people say, I'm new, I would love whatever feedback and tips you guys have for me. You, I, you will never see that on anything I write. And if you do see it, please get in touch with Kira, tell her that I've suffered a head injury and she needs to call my sister immediately. <laughs> Or alternatively, contact the FBI because she's been kidnapped. That too. <laughs> that could be a cry for help. <laughs> Possibly both. <laughs> I have, and the thing is, I have had people mistake what I was going for in a story, and that's fine. And sometimes the issue was more in their expectations than in anything I did wrong. Right? It's like they expected this kind of story, and they got that kind of story. It doesn't mean that I was wrong. Or that even they were wrong for thinking that I didn't fulfill X thing right. Because they're correct. I didn't fulfill that, but I was never trying to. And writing to a reader's expectations is exhausting. Because number one, you're guessing. And like like I said before, you, 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 you can't make everybody happy. So you might as well make, your ha make yourself happy. I am all Because committed. there is no pleasing anybody else. No. I am very committed to making myself happy with my work. I just am. And I don't care if people don't like that. Like I said, and I've talked before, there's a difference between readability and reader and reader expectation. And you do have to consider readability when you're when you're reading, when you're writing. So something not being meeting the the bar for readability, that's completely different than um, something that doesn't meet reader expectation. And not everybody understands how to make the distinction between those things. There are two kinds of readers who seek that kind of attention. Someone says in the chat room about a reader informing you that they're not going to read your work anymore or your story anymore. There's also that reader who will comment on your new fic and say they're not going to read it at all. Like one of the very first comments I got on the very first part of Ties That Bind was, well, I'm not going to read this shit. I'm like, okay. So I deleted it. And then I emailed them and said, okay, well, that's cool. Cause you can read um, what might've been for the 400th time. I don't care. <laughs> Then she sent me back this whiny ass email asking me why I um, needed to write BDSM because it was so abusive and I was promoting domestic violence. And I said, look, you don't know enough about this subject matter to have a conversation with, so I'm not going to bother. But I don't care what you do or do not read on my website, just so you know in the future, so you don't have to waste your time. I have no fucks to give, baby, about your reading habits. I do not care. And the thing one is, one of my most least read works on um, my site is courting Hermione Granger. It's the virgin thing. The virgin thing. Um, in fact, I had one reader tell me that they enjoyed it, but they'd never read it again because it didn't have sex in it. Thanks, Dream. It's actually my word, baby. I'm I'm really proud of it. Um, but a lot of people were put off with it because there was no explicit sex in it, um, and they had expectations that were not met. Uh. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to own it. There was a time in my reader, my readerly life when I would not read a story that didn't have explicit sex in it. I wouldn't. Um, however, 
that was my decision at that. Now the thing is, and I didn't write stories without sex in them either, by the way. Um, so at least I was consistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually had sex planned for it. It was just the most awkward, disturbing sex scene I've ever written. And I was appalled at myself. <laughs> I can't do this. I'm invading Hermione's <laughs> privacy. Um, I'll, I'll own that there were times in my life when I didn't read stories that didn't have explicit sex. Um, but I didn't f- feel the need to write the authors who I wasn't reading and say, I, I'm not going to read your story because it doesn't have explicit sex in it. Because who cares about my opinion? Because, I mean, people, there's, I always fear there's a writer for everybody. For every taste out there, there's a writer for that. Um, it's sort of like there's an app for that, but there's a writer for that. There's a writer that writes everything. Um, and so the fact that I am not interested in writing, you know, one or two things, it shouldn't mean anything. It shouldn't mean anything at all. Um, and the fact that I'm not interested at that time in my life, I wasn't interested in reading stories that didn't have explicit sex. To the authors I wasn't reading, why should they care? It's not like it's not like I was like some you know some big name reader. I mean, can you imagine that kind of ridiculousness of that? You big name reader. Um, all I guess. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess big name fan goes every which direction. Um, there, there have been times when um, I actually commented on a on a story on um, AO3 and got an email from the writer in question um, telling me that they were a nervous wreck, knowing I was reading their work in progress, and if would I please promise to not read it until it was finished? So I agree, bless her heart, because I was like, I didn't mean to upset you. It was just really good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to trying to traumatize you, honey, but. The thing is, is I would never feel like I needed to. I now I've changed. I have changed my 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 view about sex and stories, um, because, um, well, I've changed as a person, but also a lot of why I came to fandom had a lot to do, honestly, with sex. There was a lot. I was reading. I was reading a lot of romances, you know, but there weren't a lot of gay romances at the time, and pretty much the only thing I felt like I could find that was a gay romance at the time was basically gay anthologies, which were basically erotica. And I just was kind of tired was also, of it. During that time period, I mean, it was very often, if, when, when, even when you got a commercial romance with gay characters, one of them was going to die because they had to punish the gay. Right. There was that too. So at the time, and this is how I got into fandom. Um, I, um, okay. What was a gorgeous story? Oh, 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 I think they're talking about courting Hermione Granger. I was like, there's a gorgeous story. Which one? Um, <laughs> did you guys wreck Maybe something when I wasn't, when I was, wasn't paying attention? Um, yeah. So um, I came in, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't fully realized to me, not a lot anyway, gay romance that had um, sex in it too. And a friend of mine says, oh, I'm complaining about this one. And she says, oh. I need to introduce you to fan fiction. I'm like, what the what, what now? I didn't even heard of it. I was like the what? And then she showed me her filing cabinets. <laughs> of course she was reading it on this, on the line, but she, she wasn't an online reader. So she was, she was printing out. She'd kind of, she, yeah, she basically printed out everything she wanted to read and then she'd grade it. She had a database and explaining, <laughs> you know, what the story was, why she had graded it the way she would did. And, um, and she kept everything, right? So anyway, anyway, so that's how I started reading. So because my kind of so my, you probably read some really old school Kirk and Spock that we can't get online anymore. 
Oh yeah, she had she had she had a lot of stuff. She had a lot of she did have some, you know, passed around Kirk and Spock stuff that was I was like at first I saw it, she pulled it out. I'm like, I don't know if I want to touch that. It looks kind of she's like, you need to, you don't understand what this is. I'm like, okay. Um <laughs> fill me in. But the thing is, I it's in the cases like some of the stuff that she initially introduced me to, I had to, didn't I didn't know the shows, I didn't know the characters. So it wasn't a fandom thing. I'm like, who are these characters? What's their deal? And she would explain who the characters were because sometimes, you know, it's fandom. Like people aren't they aren't they aren't explaining who the characters are or why they're working for the FBI or whatever. So or the, why they're a cop or whatever whatever their deal was. So I'm reading it. She's giving me the background I'm reading. And then sometimes I start watching the show because that's the way, that's what happens with fandom. Sometimes people come into it through fan fiction and then they start watching the show. They buy the DVDs and all of a sudden the content creators who are so butthurt about fan fiction have got somebody else buying their content, but whatever, that's a whole nother story. So I'm reading and I, I had, I, she was my, she was my fix supplier for a long time. I mean, we kind of got all the way through the A, B's and C's and she's like, I just don't feel like I can inflict anything worse, worse than a C on you. I don't think you'll forgive me. And so then I had to venture out on my own, um, <laughs> but I didn't read things. And I like, well, I, I, I have a curiosity question. What was her favorite fic of all time? What was the first thing she gave you? Um, the first thing she gave me, that's what I would have done. I would have, I would have given you my favorite thing. I want to say the very first, actually the very first thing she gave me was something I don't remember. It was, it was basically just sex. It was just sort of erotica. See if you like this. It was a short, I read it. Um, I want to say the very first thing she gave me was in a dark time by alien child, which is a um, epic X, uh, X-Files fan fiction. Mm. Um, X-Files was born. If I if if someone asked me to wreck a story, I'm I, like they come to me and say, "Hey, I want to get into fandom. I want to read a story. I want to read a gay story." Um, there's no way the first thing out of my mouth wouldn't be "Message in a Bottle" by Astolat. For me, I think it depends upon what I knew about their personality. Um, I I would probably if somebody knew nothing about the show and knew nothing about fandom, and they were somebody who, like, if if it was suitable to their personality, it might be McCavity by Lady Raw. And it's not because it's my favorite story of hers, although I love it a ton. It's because it is so engaging and so entertaining. And there's other fandoms brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, I especially like the one with um, uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, that one's really good. And I really like the way, I, li- I also really like the um, MCU fold-in, the way they sent the rat and the scorpion to, to Tony Stark when he was in... Um, in the cave, and they she did some really good lamp shading, folks. An example of good lamp shading. She did some good lamp shading, yeah. Or perhaps um, uh, wraith killers. Wraith killers. Like, wraith like killers. Wraith killers. So, but there's something about in if somebody knows MCU or they like Tony Stark at all, that's also a good one to give them a cavity because of the that sequel. But the lamp shading she did there, where why didn't they just go rescue Tony? Because Tony Denoza would have known where he was, right? And she did lampshade it with that they had some mag- magic users who were seers working for S.H.I.E.L.D. who told um, Nick Fury that Tony Stark needed to do what he was going to do in that cave and not to go rescue him. And they told Dinoza to stay out of it. And eventually he's like, no, I got to do something. So he sent he sent Tony a rat, um, a rat who got him Fritos and a beer. And... Um, <laughs> 
That's really, really what more could you ask for in a cave? <laughs> right? And, and the thing Maybe is, in his case, some Vatican, but... <laughs> and the thing is, it meant everything to Tony Stark. That 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 rat got him Fritos. Got him something I don't to remember. eat. Did he, did, 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 did he get to keep that rat? Because I he, he did. That he rat. did. He, yeah. he, called, he called her and he named her mom. Because she was, he, she was uh, his mother's little mother hen. And she, she mothered him. And he called her mom. I don't remember... This, I don't remember what the scorpion was called, actually. I don't know why I'm blanking on that. Um, but um, Deathstalker. That's right. Thank you. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just, it has some, there, she doesn't shy away from the darkness about what could potentially happen to Tony. Like there are some attempt, attempted abductions and somebody tries to kill him at one point. Um, it's just, it's so engaging and it's got the animals, it's got a fantasy element that's really appealing. And I think the fantasy element of that and the special powers, it, there's a lot about that story that appeals to my id. And I kind of tend to think if it appeals to my id, it should appeal to everybody's id. So, um, <laughs> which is arrogant and ridiculous, but um, yeah, that I, I would recommend it for that either. But if, if somebody had a little bit of a different personality, and I knew them well enough to know this, I might give them Wraith Killers because I mean, little tigers. I mean, come on. Um, Another reason that I wanted to do this podcast is that one of the emails I got today, um, it was a new sender, so it, so it isn't being filtered into my circular file, um, called me an attention whore, basically. And I was like, bitch, you don't even know what an attention whore is. And she says, you know, she says you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you have your own Discord, you you're on all these websites. How can you know you, you just you have all this attention focused on you, and you're so ungrateful? Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Um, that that boils back to those excerpts on 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 EAD and people who don't understand what EAD is, um, and they don't understand what rough trade is, and they don't understand what the wild hair project is. They see them as vanity projects for me. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to be frank. If I wanted attention, I would put my work on AO3. Because I could dominate every pairing tag that I write in on AO3. Because on my website, which I don't advertise anywhere, um, outside of my own stuff, Twitter and Facebook, um, I average ten to 12,000 visitors a day. If I wanted to bloat the number of people on my Discord, I would just offer ebooks of my work in a channel. People would join this motherfucker like it was on fire. I'm on Twitter because I was asked to be. I'm on Facebook because I was asked to be. I used to have a Tumblr because somebody asked me to. And I was like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll get a fucking Tumblr. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Nothing, because I don't know how to use Tumblr. <laughs> I could not tumble. Kira, don't tumble. <laughs> it just but, did not work out for me. <laughs> it was just like... Even if you wanted to be on Twitter, if you wanted to tweet about whatever, if you wanted to tweet about fandom subjects or you wanted to tumble about fandom subjects or whatever, it doesn't mean you're an attention whore. It's like saying everybody who's got a Twitter and a Tumblr and a dream with or whatever is an attention whore. And since so many well, fandom citizens... <laughs> I mean, I think Twitter is very self-centric, right? It's just, it's like... It not, is as, it is. Not, not, not as much as Tumblr is. No, Tumblr I agree. is so one direction. It is, put it out there, and if somebody wants to comment on it, they have to reblog the whole fucking thing. Well, it's that's like, really interesting that you say that, Jess. It's about knowing your own worth because women are encouraged to be modest um and to be, you know, 
yeah, modest is the right word. We just we're just encouraged to be modest about our skills and our abilities. Um, I remember seeing this thing on Twitter where this woman said that she was asked to to tone down um, her abilities at work because um, she was making a male coworker feel inferior. Then he is inferior. Is that not her problem? Her problem that you but heard about the fact that you're lazy and uninspired. I'm sorry. I'm I, I might be, <laughs> I might be being judgmental. <laughs> my judgmental panties are up or up around my bra right now. <laughs> But rough trade isn't um isn't a vanity project. It's a it's um it's my writer's table. I talked before about having a table of writers around me in, in real life and about writing with other writers and um talking with other writers and being with other writers and how inspiring that is. And that's what rough trade really is, is I'm inviting other writers to sit down at the table with me. And some writers find that particular thing attractive. So they participate in rough trade. That's that's what that is. That that that's not. That's, a van- it's it's like me trying. I I just want people. I want to be around other writers. If it was a vanity project, you'd leave it up. You'd make it an archive. Um, here's the thing. But I come back to if it was a vanity project. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going to throw this out there. If it was okay. a vanity project, so what? It's not like to see the thing is here's the difference to me between an attention horror and somebody who does a vanity project. Um, attention horrors would make demands. They would get butt hurt. They would post about how nobody's coming and reading my thing or nobody's doing this, or, you know, they, there would be all this, you know, whining and bemoaning about the fact that they're not getting enough attention for the thing that they're, they're doing. But that's not the same thing as, putting up doing something just because you want to just because you want to put your name on something great that a bunch of people came together and did but i mean i'm not saying that i'm not saying you did a vanity project i'm saying if you had who cares but if it was a vanity project i think that it would also be an archive yeah i agree it probably would be an archive if it was a vanity project but my point is is it it the the thing the closest that you, you could argue might be a vanity project, except that I don't think it meets the burden, is um, Wild Hair. But you downplay it and don't really publicize it, and we haven't. You know, you have to kind of you have to you have to apply that's to get in. Blanket. That's our it's blanket. That's our blanket fort. fort. Yeah, it is exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, my point is, people talk about they use the term vanity projects that they're trying to shame you into doing something, and I I don't think that any of these are vanity projects. But if they were. So what? So what? Um, somebody could argue that like doing the quantum bang was a vanity project. It really wasn't. It was more of a, I'm tired of being told what to do in bangs in ways that don't make sense. And I just got frustrated one day. I got really oh, frustrated. Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Kira's an enabler. Um, if and Kira wasn't, sure wasn't even sure she wanted to participate in a bang. Um, I never have before. Right. Because if, if it was a vanity project, it would have one of our names on it. I'm just saying. You know, like Jilly James presents the Quantum Bang. Not that anybody <laughs> would talk, be like, who, who presents oh what? I should put who, our names on wild hair. Who presents <laughs> what? All about it. <laughs> on April Fool's Day, we need gag art, right? Vanity gag art. <laughs> on everything. <laughs> right. I knew a lady once. Um, 
she was an angst writer. Okay. So she, she was an angst writer back in, in back in the day. Uh, that's what she wrote. Uh, that was her jam. I mean, it was like 99% angst. And April Fool's one day, she went and changed all of her summaries to these schmoofy fluff fests. Just the summaries, right? So the summaries oh, no. of all of her stories were, you know, she did get a couple of new readers who were very confused, but most people just thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, you could do and go, go and put, you know, like a vanity headers up on um, on all the sites. Kara Marcos presents writing naked. <laughs> A monument to Kira Marcus's ego. But no, I mean, like, if I wanted attention, I could get it. I just don't want it. I don't need it. You just don't, I mean, you don't care. But the thing is, there's a difference between attention and vanity, okay? Um, I have I have vanities about certain things. I'm not going to say that I don't. But I don't sit around and demand attention for those things. It was just a weird thing. It was just like all these, she was pointing out all these things that is like, well, what name am I supposed to have on my Twitter? Right. I mean, it's only there for my readers to use. So if they can't find it, how can they use it? I mean, having a fandom specific Facebook is about privacy, right? I just don't understand why people care if you've got a Twitter. Everybody has a fucking Twitter. It's just, I just find it so dumb that these are the things people latch onto. And then but we thought National we need... parks have a Twitter. I, and then we thought <laughs> Literally we the to, parks. <laughs> we need to defend ourselves when in reality we don't. I mean, you don't, I'm not saying you actually, I'm not literally saying everybody has a Twitter, but. Um, but the, the so point is, is that it's not some rare diamond thing that I'm paying for, for my own vanity. It's just, it's a normal thing that people have. A lot of people in fandom have Twitter or Tumblr or Facebook or under their fandom names, you know. And when fan when they leave, their Twitter gets deleted, you know. It's just like, whatever, whatever. Um and you know, well, things, like I think the only reason she knows about them is because she looked for them, right? And I'm like, bitch, if you watch everything I do, you're a fan. Right. <clears throat> and see, I'm sitting there sometimes thinking, I'm like, you know, I, okay, so vanity. I have some things I, I can have some vanity about. I think I'd do better than about 99% of people with comma placement. You think, you know something? Nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody comments about my, my really good comma work. Nobody. I'm just saying. <laughs> Your commas are beautiful. So here's the, that's the difference between a vanity and an attention whore is if I was an attention whore, I'd be posting and, you know, actually Grammarly tells me that I missing, have missing commas a lot. Um, but uh, it's because Grammarly can't dis distinguish the difference between an introductory phrase and a, a statement given for emphasis. So, you know, <laughs> Grammarly... Grammarly doesn't actually know when you need a comma after, of course. It just, it thinks, also it just thinks it does. Actually, know when you have an unclear antecedent. It just guesses right occasionally. And it doesn't <laughs> right, and it doesn't also know that your that your ellipsis is unnecessary. Grammarly, I'm just saying. <laughs> she could be a little salty about Grammarly, but if you don't have a beta, I highly recommend you use Grammarly because it's 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 better than nothing. Right. It's 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 wrong about that antecedent thing a lot though. I, um, I really do wish you could turn that off. I wish I could just say, okay, I don't actually care about my unclear antecedent. I mean, I'm 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 pretty sure I got it right. So just let me just, have this grammarly. Let me have it. What, and once <laughs> I've once I've seen that I get it right, ninety nine point five percent of the time, I really would like to be able to turn it off. Um, I do too. I flag it as wrong, but they keep telling me they're right. But anyway, so there's a difference between having a vanity about something 
or feeling vain. And there's nothing wrong with it. I am better, honestly, I'm just going to say it. I'm better than most people in fandom with fucking commas. I just am. It's just, it's just, <laughs> this is just a thing. Live with it. I think it's, I think it's um, important to know what you're good at and to acknowledge what you're good at because that's one of the ways you grow as a writer. Because if you don't know what you're good at, you're not going to know what you're bad at. Right. And I use the comma thing as a ridiculous example. I actually would never bring that up as my as a writerly strength as commas because that's a proofreading strength. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just saying. So, but the thing is, being an attention whore would be like whining about the fact that nobody t- nobody gives me love for my great commas or nobody talks about my great grammar. All they do is whine <laughs> about my characterization. You know, I mean, nobody loves me. I don't have enough readers. They don't appreciate the hundreds of hours I've spent, you know, perfecting the grammar in my stories. That is me being an attention whore. But there is this thing that when you have a certain notoriety in a fandom that everything you do is attention-seeking. I mean, even posting a new story is, is attention-seeking to, to some of these people. And I don't even know how, I mean. Okay. It's like it's like you get to a certain point in, in your fandom placement where you've got a lot of work out and you've got readers who really enjoy you. Um, and then suddenly everything you do is too big of a deal. And then here's the thing. I, I moved to my own site before I started writing in Teen Wolf. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't think I actually have a very big, like, Teen Wolf readership in the sense of people who are really, like, big in the Teen Wolf fandom. I just don't think I do. So I don't think that anything I'm doing in Teen Wolf is particularly influential in any meaningful way. However, I'm going to read you guys this email I got earlier today. <laughs> I've got opinions. <laughs> um, sort of thing. They did have opinions. Where the fuck did I put that? Oh, I already put in the trash. Yeah, um, yeah get your popcorn out. Yeah, Because I, I had to resist the urge to engage with this because I have to assume that this is about... So the email title, why do you hate the Argents? I don't, but whatever. Some of them I do. I think they're gross. Do you feel good about bashing Chris Argent in your fix? And there's like three typos in that sentence. I just want to point that out. Um, <laughs> I read more stories lately bashing him and wonder if it's people being influenced by your stories and things you talk about on the podcast. Uh, two typos. Would that make you happy to know you were causing undue influence, spelled U-N-D-O, and ruining a character most people love? Okay, here's the thing. I don't actually watch Teen Wolf, but Chris Argent is a dick who let his daughter um, be corrupted by a terrible old man to the point where she actually tortured her own peers in the basement of his house and he did nothing about it. If I'm wrong, let me know. No. Okay. He knew so he knew what he his bag he, of dicks. He knew what his he knew what his dad was like. He knew what his sister was like and he let them both be around his daughter. Even if he was different, even if he was trying to follow the code, he still let them be around his daughter. And when his daughter started trying to murder her classmates, he didn't do anything directly to intervene until she was out of the house with said murderous father. And then he went down and let them go. Like, big hero. Um, He let a bunch of injured teenagers go. Right. You highlighted this in Duty of the Living, or was it the other one? 
Unobstructed views, yeah. Unobstructed views. Um, that failure to render aid could have killed Styles, and Styles is human. He's been tortured by his fa- um, Chris's father, so he releases him from the basement and doesn't get him any kind of medical assistance. Not because not not because Styles didn't need it, but because he was trying to cover his own ass. Like, how was he going to explain having the kidnapped son of the sheriff in his basement being tortured by his father? He had no explanation for that. And because he has no fucking honor and covering his own ass was more important than the health of a, what, 16-year-old? 15-year-old, how old was Styles? 16? Uh, well, if you if you go by the canon, um, the birthday calendar they put out, he would be 17. But um, he later said he was 16, so who the fuck knows how old he was? Okay, so... And he, was, and, and he was only horrified, basically, someone said in the chat room, because he wasn't a werewolf. Chris Argent is not a good person. He helped his wife tort- tortured by a very attractive man, but he's not a good person. Well, he came into the show and helped his wife torture the school principal so that his dickhead dad would have a job where he'd keep a closer eye on the werewolf population. You know, as you do. So nobody in fandom needs to actually do any work to, miss Chris, to, to make Chris Argent a piece of shit. He already is a piece of shit. And see, here's the thing. I, I don't think I've influenced anybody's perception of Chris Argent at all. I'm actually kinder to him than I think he deserves. Because in Unobstructed Views, and I mentioned this in the chat earlier today, in Unobstructed Views, Chris basically he doesn't go to jail. He suffers very little ramifications for what happened because his father, his father gets the blame for everything, for everything gets put on his father. Okay. Chris suffers very little damage as a result of what happened. Um, But Noah, and, and the thing is, here's where it's a little bit unrealistic. Okay. And I did that because later in the canon, later in the canon, Chris is, he, he kind of redeems himself as time goes on. A little bit. He does have a, he kind of has the redemption arc in canon and stuff set later in the series. People write him in a way in fanon that I come to like the character. So I was kinder to him than actually made sense. Because if you think about it, Noah went into that torture basement and he saw those torture implements and he saw his son's blood everywhere. Realistically, Chris Argent was going to be in jail no matter what anybody wanted. Because whether or not he actually participated in torturing Styles, it was his house, and he so knew. Complicit. And he knew it was going on down there, even if he didn't know Styles was down there. He knew people. He knew his basement was set up to be tor- t- torturing people. He knew it. I'm just saying. But they didn't. But it didn't matter because they were just werewolves, right? Because they were just, just werewolves. werewolves, even though they weren't even adults, right? So somebody got butt hurt about the way somebody else wrote a story that for some reason, and I don't know why, because I did not ask them. I was tempted to say, what story are you so butt hurt about? I, but I'm like, no, I'm just what is, what is the source of your tushy tantrum? Right. You're probably listening to this podcast. Cause you listen to the podcast. We don't actually care. I don't care. If, yeah. Now this is, is dangerous because they might then write me, but I was tempted to ask what, the story was so I could go see why they thought I had any impact on this story. And maybe it could be that there might be something implicit in that or even explicit in that story that would imply that this writer was influenced by me. I do find that to be improbable, improbable because I don't think I've explored any particularly novel tropes in. But if it's true, it's not your responsibility. No, it's truly not. 
But also, it's not bashing. It's not bashing. And if somebody did actually bash Chris Sargent and they felt inspired by something I wrote to do so, that's also still not my responsibility. And you can't say that I bashed him just because somebody exploring else did. A, exploring a character's canon flaws and canon terrible actions is not bashing. Exposing a character's flaws is not bashing. I think that there are people in fandom who don't know the difference between character exploration and bashing. To the point where I just label it all bashing just to get it out of the way. I honestly, for the most part, don't think I bash Ron Weasley. I just expose his selfish, greedy personality for what it is. He made a hobby of betraying Harry Potter and canon. He's an asshole. But apparently pointing that out to people makes me a Ron Weasley basher. Fine, I'll own it. I'm a Ron Weasley basher. Fuck you. I don't care. Because they don't know the difference and there's no point in arguing with them. Kirk being um, Betazoid isn't even from me. I got it from somebody else. I read a story where Spock goes to see Tiberius Kirk. It's uh, uh, James T. Kirk's grandfather. And Tiberius Kirk opens the door and he's half Betazoid. And Spock is like, whoa. And so I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> what have you done to me? And it was this little short. And it like it was like I had like instant headcanon. Instant. And I read that story once, so like long before I wrote Tangled Destinies. And so when I was putting together the character for Tangled Destinies for, for Jane for, for Jim, I was like, I got to I have to give him Betazoid heritage. I have to because it's like somebody just I'm ruined. I'm ruined. And I can't even tell you the name of the story that ruined me. I don't remember. Willow, are you here? <laughs> Willow. Willow. <laughs> but it's not that that reader's that writer's fault that I've done this to myself with Star Trek headcanon. Uh, it's just what it is. It's not even their fault if anybody was headcanoned by Kira. It's not like it's a But it's such an interesting concept to give Jim um, something other than human. It's 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 honestly what made Tangled Destinies so fascinating for me as a writer. I recently reread it because I'm going to re I'm going to replot my season two. Um, like I, I kind of got thrown off stride with um, with with what they did with Khan, and um, it kind of threw me for a loop. And I'm trying to figure out. And I was I was trying to make it work. And I'm just gonna like ignore it, <laughs> like it just never happened. <laughs> <laughs> might as well because they killed Christopher Pike, so you might as well just pretend like it doesn't happen. Well, that's not happening. I don't give a fuck. No. And I'm you know, my main issue um going into season two, um, for Tangled Destinies is how I'm going to deal with um the whole um Romulan thing. Linaridia. Yeah. And alternate Spock. And that. So, you know, and where I want to start it, do I want to do the Academy years? Because I have this specific scene in my head where Jim is defending himself because of the Kobayashi Maru. Um, and I'm like, do I, do I really want to explore that? I mean, I, I thought that I did, um, but maybe I don't. Uh, maybe there's too many changes for that to actually happen the way it does um, in either verse now. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm replotting. Thank you, Queenie. She's having a thinking moment. And sometimes, um, you know, like the like the canon will throw you, you know, throw you for a loop. You know, it's like when they add to it, it's like, oh, what'd you do? 
I mean, on the other side of it, by the end of the last Star Wars movie, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> when I wasn't before, I was like, dude, no, dude, no, no. I see what you're doing out. No, no. <laughs> And then, like, like, like in the second movie, I was like, "Don't you dare! Don't you dare do it!" And then, and then by the end of the third movie, I was like, "Oh, okay, oh, okay, <laughs> you got me." <laughs> First, I had you got me. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I read. I, I, I don't even want to talk about <laughs> my sojourn into the Star Wars fandom and how much Ren Kylo uh Kylo Kylo Ren Ray stuff I read. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> oh dear. One well, of my favorite ones though is that she resurrects him through the dyad. She pulls him back from the afterlife with the force. I, I, I can't even help myself. <laughs> I have no excuse. Sometimes you get sucked into something and you're like, oh what am I doing here? How did I get here? What am I doing? I I feel like that like the That's day three of Hannibal. <laughs> right. It's like the like the third day of the the binge. That actually the night, the the moment that I really stopped to question my life choices was the moment we're reading that ABO fic all night and just laughing our asses off. And she intended it to be funny, so it is not bashing to say that it was funny. She intended that shit to be funny. But it was so No overt. one could write the sentence, but Will digresses. Will digresses. Well, actually, the thing is, there are people who do that. I don't think they realize that they aren't doing it. They aren't doing it ironically. Uh, but okay. Um, but that was a clear, intentional fourth wall break. Um, Y'all. The pillow. The pillow. Anyway, that could be, we could go on. I know some people get freaked out when we talk about Hannibal. So, okay, y'all. Um, but the thing is, when we were, I had that moment that night going, how did I get here? <laughs> how did I get here? How did I get here? This is, I'm not sure this is even a good thing for me. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I went there. I went there. And the thing is, I'm not unhappy with the results. I've read some amazing stories, probably some of the best I've ever read in fandom. And, um, I don't, and I don't say that lightly. I, there's just some amazing stories that, some amazing works that come out of that fandom. And I wrote one of the, one of my favorite things that I've written, um, because I started reading it. So, you know, no regrets. It's just still there are times when you have that surreal kind of, what did I do? How did it happen? Who's to blame? <laughs> Imanjer is to blame. Imanjer. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, actually, probably the friend who sent me Imanjer stories, like, if you don't read anything else, you need to read this. I was like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> People always say that. They are never right. And then it, there's the one time they are. This is the problem with absolutes is that they'll bite you in the ass. There's that one moment. I knew I was reading it, and I was reading it, and I was reading it. And I was like, this is this is gorgeous. How dare she? How dare she be? What? <sighs> Then he used his safe word, and I was like, oh. <laughs> "I hate all y'all." I, I know. I was like, "What have you done? What have you done, Emanjer? What have you done?" <sighs> and can we send you to the corner for it? Because I just <laughs> this has ruined me. I was ruined. Yeah, Blackbird ruined me. Um, beautiful. It's gorgeous work. But you know. There are some immensely talented writers in in fandom who who go along doing their thing and they build an audience that 
perhaps are not prepared to deal with. Um, just by doing their thing. They're just doing their thing. And then all of a sudden they've got all these people in their comment section making these demands one way or another. Oh, I, I would love to have more of this. This was so beautiful. This was so gorgeous. What's your next project? And some of it's like not even negative, right? But it it has a negative impact. I I know a writer in fandom who told me if she could turn comments off on AO3 without getting abuse for it, she would. And I was like, moderate it and never look. She said, but then I'll get emails demanding to know why they haven't got their comments approved. Say because I'm feeling lazy this week. I'm approving no comments <laughs> ever. I would be tempted to troll somebody and say that, um, you know, I can't figure out how that stuff works. <laughs> <laughs> They'll send you a video. <laughs> well, well, yeah. YouTube video to teach you how to do that. I made it just for you. <laughs> and then I go, and then when they say, Did, I see you still, you're still muttering your comments. I'd be like, I accidentally deleted everything. I don't know what I did. I just accidentally delete everything. I'm just, I'm, not, I'm just glad I didn't accidentally delete my fic. I don't need to mess with it, really, honestly. We're just lucky it happened the way it happened. Things could have been so much worse. But, you know, there is that mentality. There is that mentality that, um, that you have to in, indulge your readers. And that you have to give them a space to comment and to interact with you. One of the things that I almost did with Rough Trade is turn off comments. But during the first Rough Trade event, I mentioned it to a participating writer. And she said she would find that demotivating. To have no comments. I thought, well, what if you don't get any comments naturally? Or what if the only comments were ones we had to delete because they were obnoxious? I mean, I don't think you more? need to. Uh, don't depend on comments for motivation. That's a that's a road to not writing. Um, but the thing is, is my email address is so is so public that in order for me to turn off comments and not get feedback, I would have to change my email address and delete my Facebook and delete my Twitter. <laughs> It'd be work. It'd be work. It would be a lot of work and it wouldn't be worth it because the people who are intent on giving you their opinion would give their opinion to you regardless of what you want. Because there are already people who circumvent the rough trade rules to, to get to authors outside of the challenge. Um, yes. And you're but if you are a participating author and you have somebody do that to you, you can feel free to contact me and I will whip them a new asshole. Unless you've been posting your shit elsewhere. Right. We ha that happened to somebody one time. They were posting their stuff on AO3 during Rough Trade, which you can do. But if you're posting your stuff in public at, in, on another site while Rough Trade is going on and somebody gets shirty with you about it. Well, I, I rarely say this about negative feedback, but you kind of brought that shit on yourself. <laughs> I mean, but I had a participant on Rough Trade who um, was very active in the comment section, very positive, but she sent a particularly ugly email to a participating author because she didn't like an, a choice the author made. And so um, this was early on, like in the first set, or maybe the second year, I banned her from commenting on Rough Trade for a year and told her explicitly why. And so now it doesn't happen too much anymore. I mean, that way. I mean, yeah, well, we had a... Um... At least that person never did it again that I'm aware of. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we've had, I mean, a few, it's, this has happened a few times, but one time was particularly epic. But sometimes an author chooses to, and regardless of my feelings about this, you are allowed to do this, okay? I want to say that up front. You are allowed to do this, in my opinion, should not matter. 
But some, uh, sometimes authors choose to end their story at not say that I'm done writing for this rough trade, but say this is the end on a cliffhanger. Okay. I personally can't stand that kind of thing. I tend to not read writers who routinely end their works on cliffhangers. I think it's kind of bullshit, but if you want to do it, you do you. However, there was one particular time readers never react. I'm going to tell you off this straight up. They never react well. And when we start getting comments about, oh my God, the cliffhanger, or oh my God, I can't believe you did that. We give each other a little alert behind the scenes. We've got to keep an eye on the comments on this story because people are butthurt. And we shield you guys from that fallout. But there was one time, I, I couldn't, it was a few years ago. I don't know what it was. I didn't read the story. I don't know what it was about this ending, but people lost their minds. They lost yeah. their minds. I mean, the comment section was like, holy crap. I mean, what clearly, the fuck? <laughs> clearly the story must have been beloved because otherwise people would not have been so upset. But man, it was a couple of days of like, are you guys, is somebody watching the comment section? Because sometimes authors were able to get in and see comments before we had everything worked out. And it was like, oh my God, we got to get that. Get We got to get these deleted before somebody sees them. Yeah, because um, in our old posting interface, um, the authors were on the back end so they could see pending comments. Now authors participating in Rough Trade cannot see pending comments, um, which I think is better because then you aren't tempted to look at things that you don't need to see. Because we do have readers and commenters who, no matter what our rules are, um, will leave what I consider to be inappropriate feedback. And you know, when you're in a challenge environment, you don't you don't have you don't have room for a conversation. Number one, you don't have room to answer questions. Number two, and number three, what a reader wants from you while you're writing every day and see, you don't have time to to indulge that kind of behavior, even if you were inclined to do so. I don't think I don't think a lot of readers who who don't write understand just how stressful um, a rough trade event can be. I mean, we have people freaking out over just having to post their project files. So, you know, if you haven't been through it, you don't know. You just don't know what it's like. Um, There's a reason why I called it Naked Nano to begin with. It's still a very apt of a, a very apt name, you know. That's why I said your your gag title can be Kara Marcos Presents Writing While Naked. People will think it's going to be something that's not. It's just the usual event, but I'm just saying. Um, the funny thing is people who've never posted on the site do freak out more about the first. It's the first thing they have to do. The project file freaks them out more than the actual writing and posting. But um, Which is crazy because it's nothing, y'all. It's nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. It really is nothing. Uh, but, you know, I'm not trying to minimize anybody's pain. I get that it's stressful. Hey, Dream, if you stay after the podcast, I'll help you title, if you wish. Um, I'm good at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is one of my skills. <laughs> if I have to say so myself. You're exceptional at it, fourth want. <laughs> um, mm. Just FYI. Mm. Um, speaking of attention whores. Oh, thank you for attention, Horace. What my just my brain? You ever have your brain blue screen? Mine did. Yeah, mine did too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I honestly, I think as a reader and as a writer, that when you encounter um a person in fandom who is who is clearly writing for attention, that the best thing you can do is to give them zero attention. Yeah. 
And the thing is, you're going to encounter it. It's not just in, it's not just in reader. It's not just in like spaces, like in the comment section, or it's not just in the author notes on a fic. Man, you you can really spot an attention whore in the uh, in the comment section on a story. It's like, oh my god. And the bizarre thing to me is when somebody ports over a story from like fanfiction.net. And the thing is, there's no like, as far as I know, there's no like automated import from fanfiction.net. You got to paste all that shit in manually. And they bring over all of their comments, all their author notes about, you know, stuff going on in their life 10 years ago. And they put, and the thing is, you know, they're bringing it over manually because it's not coming over as part of, it's not coming over as the not coming over as the body. They're pasting it into the appropriate fields. It's like, why did you bring over this author note that has nothing to do with anything? But whatever, whatever. That's a whole different tangent. Um, Look, author notes notes should pertain to your story, not to your life circumstances. Not to when you get into the habit of telling your readers why you're not doing something, it creates an excuse culture that number one is not good for your craft, and number two, it, it, it invites them into your life in a way that is really deeply inappropriate, and it creates a false sense of intimacy that they will use against you because you don't owe them explanations. But then there also gets to be this, um... like during this whole thing, um, I actually had two different people message me and tell me that maybe um, I need to investigate my medication situation and pick out a new antidepressant because I was being a cunt. Ugh. Twice. Two different people. Fuck them very much. So, because I am very open about taking antidepressants. I'm I'm very open about my, because I think it's important to destigmatize that, but they weaponized it against me and they thought, maybe they thought it would hurt my feelings, but it didn't because I'm actually on a really good pill right now because if I wasn't, I'd be cussing them out. <laughs> because one of the things that happens to me when I'm in a depressive episode is my temper goes through the fucking roof. Um, there's some anxiety and I have a zero to brain filter. I mean, it's like mouth to foot gone. It's completely gone. Whatever I think is going to come out of my mouth, and most of the time it's going to be vicious. So certain groups that should not be named light um, are lucky that you're on a good medication. She says, Sita. She says to quote Queenie, quoting me, they need to shut their whore mouths. <laughs> she just double quoted herself. <laughs> so medic. It's so medicina. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but when you do like offer your readers information like that, um, you do give them the ability to use it against you. And um, if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, you need to be careful. Because out of all the things I received, those two emails about that, I was like, well, fuck you, click, <laughs> delete, 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 archive, I'm gonna keep that one because that one's funny. <laughs> Well, people think that they need to have an excuse or whatever for pulling their work down or not work down or not work down. <laughs> that was a little bit too literal. People need to think they have a need to have a reason to do things like not post or to be late or to work on another project. And so they'll give these long explanations. And I'm not saying this is an attention whore thing, although I do think there can be an expression of this kind of author note that is obviously attention whore syndrome. But sometimes I just think, authors are so pressured into posting when they just are not in the right space for it, that they feel like they have to explain. They feel like they have to explain. Um, um, they, anyway, they feel like they have to explain why they didn't post because, and that's a little bit too, um, that's readers invited too closely into their process. Right. 
Because um, a complaining reader of their comments should just be trashed, in my opinion. A writer shouldn't have to explain. They shouldn't be stressed out about the fact that they um, couldn't post. Then there are authors who just want lots of attention. And you, the thing is, you can tell the difference. But I was saying earlier, you're going to encounter people who are attention seekers about their writing rather than just wanting to write and want to interact with other writers in all kinds of places. You're going to find them in writers groups. You're going to find them in other fandom spaces. Um, there, there can be a mentality amongst some of these kinds of attention seekers that they should get special treatment in fandom spaces because they're a writer, which is as, it's, it's as big a bullshit as somebody thinking that they should have special treatment because they're readers. It's just nonsense. Um, that that fic that I read for Star Trek, it was a ficlet uh, about Kirk and Spock and Jim having his grandfather be Betazoid, um, is called In Tones So Soft and Low. And it's by Mischief Afoot. Um, and I'm going to put a link in the library. Guys, I did not say, I didn't even imply that somebody who explains why they haven't posted is attention sinking. I didn't even imply that. I'm saying some people are obvious in their comment section that they're attention seeking, but that was completely separate from the comment about authors shouldn't feel pressured to explain why they didn't post. Because when they do explain, they're um, they're sometimes they're giving their readers entirely too many details. You don't need to know. And also, creating an excuse culture is bad for your craft because the the excuses you feed your reader today, you'll feed yourself tomorrow. But if you are legitimately feeling guilty because you haven't posted, you need to spend some time thinking about that. You don't owe anybody anything. It doesn't matter how much they were enjoying it or whatever. You don't owe anybody anything. I didn't post for a fucking year. I eventually posted about not posting because people were asking me if I was dead. <laughs> she was here. She was busy. I don't feel guilty about not posting for that year. I had life happening. I, I was writing a lot. I was writing because writing is part of how I cope. But I don't feel even a tiny shred, not a morsel of guilt for the fact that I was not giving people fic during a really difficult year. I don't feel bad about that at all. And so, I, like I said, I eventually explained in a post that, I, yes, I was still alive, but, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, I, I'm actually, I actually say that to be, in, encourage you, to empower you, that the you feel most likely reason people feel guilty for not posting is because they've been told that they should. And that is reader culture. That is reader entitlement. Um, that is writers taking reader entitlement on board and thinking that it means something. I don't care how much somebody's invested in your work. I don't care how much they seem like they're invested in you. You don't owe anybody entertainment. You don't owe anybody thick. You don't owe anybody anything. But there is this element in fandom that um, creates this culture that tells you that you do. And the state of it is is rooted in a in attention-seeking behavior that both readers and writers indulge in in fandom. Creators. I would say creators and readers um, engage in in fandom. Because it's not just writers. Because yeah, a lot of it is about, it's about attention. Um I'm sure there are some readers. I'm not all, probably not even the vast majority. I think the vast majority of readers just want to read. And some of them, uh, probably even a fair number of them, only comment because they feel like it's kind of the polite thing to do. They'd be much happier just reading and having no interaction at all 
Um, but there are some readers who just want to interact with their favorite writer. They want the attention of this writer, whatever this writer is, whoever it is. That's what they want. Be good, bad, or indifferent, they want the attention of that writer. Like I said, it is a very, for readers, I do think it's a very tiny minority who are kind of like reader attention whores. Um, they can be overwhelming. Very overwhelming. But I guess I do think, and I really will put it out there, I do think the vast majority of readers would be much happier not interacting with the writer at all. At all. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, they do it because they feel like it's like, and I get it. I get it. I've been there. I've been there. They feel like I got so much out of this. I feel like I should say something. And then they want to just say thank you because they don't know what else to say. But then they feel like thank you is inadequate. It's not. Thank you is not inadequate. I'm just saying this for me, folks. I can't speak for these attention horror entitled authors, but I'm going to say for me, thank you is fine. If you are stressing yourself out to leave a comment because you feel like thank you is insufficient, it's not. And if you leave a comment like, thank you, I really enjoyed this, and you get shit from the writer for it, delete your comment and don't read their work. Because they're not worth investing in. They don't deserve your time. That is an attention whore writer right there. Or maybe I should say attention whore author. I'm going to make, I'll try to make, I'm going to draw a line for, for purposes of this discussion between author and writer. Um, That's like poster. Poster, <laughs> yes. Poster. <laughs> because I tend to differentiate between writer and author. Um, is authors are um, professional. But um, it's just a little quirk in my brain from when I, when I was publishing a, a lot, you know, that whole published author thing. Mm-hmm. It's a little quirk, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a writer. No matter how many things I've had published professionally at the end of the day, I'm a writer. I came out of the womb this way. My mother's apparently very fertile womb. <laughs> fandom is actually too big to let um any individual uh wrap you around the axle truly truly and it can be easy to do though i'm not saying it's not difficult to to step away from that culture whatever it is it can be very difficult to to step back from it um but it's not healthy. The thing is, you know, it's not healthy. Anything that's getting you emotionally wrapped up and, you know, wrapped up inside, just you're completely anxious and stuff. It's, it's, it's probably not healthy. And sometimes we get anxious about things we're insecure about, but if it's just a really negative kind of anxiety and it's just, it just driving you crazy. If you're neurotic about, Oh my God, I have to post. My readers are going to harass me. or They're going to be so upset or whatever. You don't owe anybody that kind of interaction. You don't owe anybody anything. And any author who demands, um, it's just, there. well, that's entitlement for starters, because you don't owe anybody anything. Um, and that is pretty much an artifact of fandom, too. Like that dude who thinks I owe him my fic because I posted it, and it yeah. belongs to him. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't see professional writers going, oh, you know, you owe me. I I bought your book, buddy. That's what I owed you, the purchase price. Shut up. Because you don't see it. It's just, it's ridiculous. We all know it's ridiculous. One of the funniest things I ever saw was um, I um, was at a um, kind of a little small writing conference in my area. And there were readers there. And 
this one reader says ebooks were just barely taking off so this was definitely a, a print purchase and um the um the reader can come up to one of so this lady that i know professionally I would, I would not consider her a friend um old school romance writer she's probably she at the time she probably written she probably had 30 or 40 books in print yeah so she's she's been doing it a while and the reader was disappointed in her last offering and she said i had bought all of your books and i bought this last one and i hated it i hated the the, the, the hero and da 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 and this author looked that reader right in the face and she said well thank you for all the money you spent on me in the past <laughs> that's all she said i was like girl <laughs> that was so fucking cold <laughs> thank you for your money bye <laughs> later that was it that was all she said the reader's mouth dropped open and i guess she thought she was going to get a oh my god i'm so sorry i'm, I'm like, a, like an apology right no <laughs> i was like dude she patted me she says i don't have time for your crush right now come back later i was like i will <laughs> it was great she was in my RWA group. She's fantastic. <laughs> she was just almost like, I can't believe you. Like, <laughs> I, I did, am, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm I am coming back for all uh, to learn your sassy ways. I will <laughs> I will be here. Oh God. <sighs> just crazy. It was it was it was fantastic. I was like, okay. <laughs> And that's really, you know, honestly, that's really how you have to treat a reader like that. Because there's nothing she could have said that could have made it better, right? I mean, this book is in print. What's she supposed to do? Pull it off the shelf and rewrite it to satisfy this one reader who didn't like the hero? What? <laughs> that's not the way that works. This damn book was on the New York bestseller list. What was she supposed to do? Anyways. But, I was a newbie published author at that point. I just signed my first three book deal. And um, I was like really intimidated by the thought of being in this particular event. So the other members of my RWA group were kind of like, you know, babysitting me. I was 29. And I was also coming out of um, the cancer scare. And I'd gotten, I'd, I'd gotten the, my results um, back. And um, so it was like this, I just was looking to distract myself. And I was like, I didn't even want to go to this event. They talked me into it. And then they had to babysit me the whole time. <laughs> because I was, they, they took turns. <laughs> now that group is full of yeah, inspirational yeah. writers. I don't even want to, I can't even. So the worst thing you can do wherever you encounter an attention whore is give them attention. The worst thing you can do. And it doesn't matter where you encounter them. If you are in a, if you're doing a write-in, okay, like, like you're going to the library or whatever, and there's the attention whore there. The worst thing you can do, no matter how much they whine about their woes, is to, to, to help them because you're giving them what they want. And I'm not saying, okay, y'all, y'all tend to, sometimes people get very extremist about the things I say. I am not saying everybody who has a tale of woe about their writing is an attention whore. But you you know, you all know you can spot the one that is just there for the attention. 
Some people legitimately are having a rough time with their writing and they want help and they listen. And the ones who are not there to actually get help are the ones who won't listen. They just want to keep complaining. And everything you say, they have a counter to it about how they're so special that they're such a unique snowflake that their problem with writing is so unique and perfect and amazing. And you just have to listen to it. But I'm not here for that. I'm not here for excuse culture. I don't indulge in it. I don't, I'm I'm not going to listen to it. No. Um, If you ask for my advice, you need to take my advice as I say it. And either you can, you can use it or not. You can discard it, but I don't want to get, um, almost, I almost use the word back chat, but that's, (laughs) I'm I'm not your mom. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not your real mom, as I was told earlier in the week. Um, I don't want uh, to get an excuse in my face afterwards. Why'd you ask me? Why did they ask? Why? Why? It could be attention. But it reminds me. Oh I, I, earlier, I was talking about The Sims. Um, when I was first in The Sims, I um, I ran a few websites. I did objects. I, I specialized in like wallpaper and roof textures because I never could find ones that I liked. So I made those a lot. Um, and it's a very weird thing. Um, and flowers. I did flowers too. I like to do outdoor plants and stuff. Um, anyways, that's beside the point. The point is, is that um, I was, I was in like this ICQ community. Maybe, maybe it was ICQ. You guys remember ICQ that that that, that chat format? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and there was this lady in this group. Um, and she was just she was just a gamer. She was she tried she tried to say she was a gamer, but she never seemed to um it seemed fake her gaming. But but you know, we were we were trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. But then she started talking about and this was before this was possible. She was talking about having her laptop in the hospital because she was getting treated and she was dying. Um, and then she started asking for money. Um, and she apparently had internet access before Wi-Fi in hospitals was even a thing. Um, and in the background, we're starting to ask questions to each other. Hey, has, has she asked you for money? And like, yeah, she's asked me for money. She's asked me for money. Everybody, you know, yeah. She's asked me for money. And so it got around the fact that she'd asked everybody in this group of like two or 300 people for money. Um, and then someone started doing some background work on her and found out she had done this in several other gaming communities that she would go in, pretend to be invested and involved in the game and then built money for built people for money by lying and saying she was dying. And she'd been doing it for five years. She, she'd had four or five different terminal um, diseases, obviously. Not, not terminal diseases because she didn't actually have them. But this kind of attention horror behavior um, is another aspect that you will see on the internet. Outside of fandom, sometimes in fandom. Like, you know, when you have that reader, ropes can, ropes can identify with this one. Um, you have this reader who, con- who contacts you and asks you if you're going to finish this work before they die because they're sick. Because I had a lady tell me that she wanted me to finish. I forget which one it was. Uh, that she really wanted to know the. Uh, I had that actually happen twice, and once, um, once was terrible. Uh, she wrote me and said, "I hope you finish. It might have been Phoenix before I die because I have breast cancer and I have a year to live." Uh, wow. Thanks I, for the guilt trip. I deleted it. I was like, I can't even. But then I had this other lady contact me and tell me she was terminally ill, and she talked about how much she really enjoyed this particular work that I'd done. It was that old black magic. 
and that she knew it was supposed to be a trilogy and she didn't think she was going to be around long enough to read it and she wasn't trying to hassle me or pressure me um, and that if I wanted proof of her diagnosis that she would mail it to me she would email it to me and I was like oh honey and she just wanted to know what was going to happen so I told her what was going to happen she didn't ask me to bang out those two books she just wanted to know how it was going to end so I told her yeah I remember you 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 shared that email with and with the bitches and it was it was heartbreaking it was heartbreaking and there was nothing about her email that was um, manipulative or ugly or mean-spirited. Um, she was just a reader who was just really curious and didn't think she was going to be around to see it. Um, and she just wanted to know what was going to happen. She didn't make any demands. It was just, you know, and, and there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, she's a class act. Absolutely dark. So, but um, it's just... But that faking illness to get shit in fandom is, is actually becoming more common by the day, and it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a... Um, well, there, there have been people in fandom who faked their death. Um, there was a lady in Harry Potter who demanded the um, that ropes finish Harry Crow because their child was dying and wanted to know what the ending was. How does somebody fake their death? Um, they create a basically... I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, they create a um, a new account, basically a new name, and they friend themselves, right? And then the 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 themself, their original ID, their main ID in fandom, the one what people know them by, is very ill. They're very ill, and then and then their friend one day turns up and says, "Oh, this character, this person died." this person dead and then they sit back and they watch the reactions to their death this person's death and they will drum up attention to this person's death when it's not getting enough attention then you know somebody from her family will get on her facebook and post on her behalf and say um talk about the memorial service and the funeral and um how they're taking um you know donations to charity in her name if you're interested and just you know just sick just sick shit. Yeah. I mean, stuff that most people would never think would even think to cross their mind. But there, and the thing is, it's not like, and the thing is, it's been like, these things get exposed. Somebody figures it out. And then they start digging and they start doing some research and they figure out that it's the same person. Or they make the mistake of letting somebody in on the fact that it's really them. And um, because sometimes there might be like some popularity they had, right? With, um, under their under the name that they killed themselves under and then oh, like maybe that they felt they could get more attention from like an author or something this actually was a case that somebody somebody's interacting with an author that they admired and they thought they could get more attention from this author by admitting who they really were oh yeah well I, i've written too and they wanted to show this writer that they were a writer too and they shared their works with them and they were accused of you know stealing works from a dead person and how dare you? And they're like, no, 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 these are mine. I'm not really dead. I just needed a break from fandom or something. And then that some people start, somebody starts digging and they find that, um, that this person who had said it told everybody that she was dead was actually her, that she's the one who drummed up all this stuff. So, um, it's just disgusting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does happen. We do have authors die in fandom. Um, but there's a genuineness about it that is difficult to to speak to. Sometimes you can tell you can tell when it's because honestly, people who are genuine they just aren't asking for anything. 
They just aren't asking for anything. There's no sudden, suddenly random person who no one's ever seen before turning up to drum up sympathy about this person. Um, you, we can just, you, you, we, people start developing a sense of when it's when it's real. Um, and the thing is, if you're if you're having a question about somebody's motives, just it's okay to wait and see, to watch. It's okay to stand back and watch. Um, back in the live journal days, I interacted with. Um, it was a bunch, bunch of writers in one group, and we'd exchange messages and stuff. And there was somebody who wanted help, and it just—it didn't matter what you told them, what problem they had with their writing, what problem they had with their story, the story that they were just angst-filled and you know this epic that they were beleaguered over for you know ten years or twenty years or whatever, and. Um, it didn't matter what you said to them. It didn't matter what solution you offered. Their writing, their craft is so unique that there is no established craft basics that will cover their unique situation. Oh, well, I could plot, but that wasn't work for me because of this reason. Well, I could make my characterization consistent, but it doesn't work for me for this reason. Well, I could... I could limit myself to 12 points of view. But that doesn't work with me. It doesn't work for me in this unique situation because of, and then there always would be a long explanation of why the fundamentals didn't work for them. And I just, and you're sitting there after like the, the 12th fucking time. I, I have to admit, I was a little slow to pick up on it. I'm sitting there thinking, you're just an attention whore. It took me a really long time to catch on. <laughs> Because it is your nature as a writer um, to nurture others and to to help them with their craft. Um, and sometimes you don't see that shit coming. I mean, it's, it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Because I, I interact with writers differently than I do readers. Hmm? A, a and sometimes writer, that bites me on the ass. A writer who's an attention whore will get further into my into my process than a reader who is because I'm assuming I'm, I'm, I give them a benefit of the doubt. So, but once people show me that they're just after the attention, I do stop interacting with them. Now I'm going to say, don't take that to mean if I've ever like abruptly stopped talking to you that I think you're an attention whore, people infer some weird shit. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> something just happens. Right. Like, so yesterday, yesterday yeah it was yesterday this is last night right anyway i don't know if i get specifics but i got i was right in the middle of some discussions with some people when i got news that a family member had died and that's not funny especially the way it happened but it was i abruptly stopped talking having some conversations because i got very distracted so um and i i don't abruptly stop talking to people no matter what but I kind of do with people that I'm seeing are just kind of engaging for attention. I do kind of step back, you know, you take a step back, not abruptly. I'm not, I'm not going to waste my time on you like that. No, I'm not. And honestly, sometimes people aren't attention whores. They just don't want to solve their issue either. So that there, there's sometimes can be a couple of manifestations of why I just kind of like throw up my hands. It's because like somebody who has the same problem over and over again, and all they do is talk about it. And they don't have anything to fix it. I just, I don't know if that's attention or I don't know what that is. I just don't have the time for it. You know, I have a, I have a writer friend who, who never finishes anything ever. Um, We're talking on two decades here and she's never finished a single project. 
she'll, she'll get to a certain point and she'll stop. She'll just pick up something new. Um, and I know exactly what her problem is. She does too. Because one night, I guess about 15 years ago, we were we were out at uh, TGI Fridays, maybe. We were splitting a really ridiculous piece of chocolate brownie and ice cream and we had a couple drinks and she said, you know what my problem is? And I said, yeah, if you ever finish your work, you'll have to submit it somewhere and you're afraid to do that. And she said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That's fine because she doesn't actually have to submit it. It's just... Right. But she thinks she does. And sometimes we... that um, that belief that you have to try to get published can can really mess you up. And I can tell her all day long, you don't have to submit to publication if you don't want to. You can put your shit up for free on Wattpad if you want. The thing is, and I get why it's hard, because if you finish something, the next, and you, let's say you decide you don't want to submit it. Let's say you decide this is too much. <gasps> no. Oh, you have chocolate? No, I left a Reese egg on something hot. <gasps> no. It's time for emergency refrigeration. <laughs> I just moved it, but damn. Um. I know it is sadness, but once you, let's say you admit that you finished something, I, I wrote the thing and um, people said, and you decide, let's say you decide and you're okay with the fact that you are not ready to submit it because it is still your word baby and you are not ready for your word baby to be somebody else's product. Um, it's okay to not submit it. It's okay to put it away and go, I'm going to let it sit there until I have emotionally detached or I just get tired of myself, one or the other. I don't know which. I mean, I submitted my first story finally because I was like, I got so tired of looking at it. I was like, I'm so tired of reading the story and rereading it and trying to fix it. I just, I'm starting to hate it. I better submit it. <laughs> it Before is I hate not... it completely and never submit it. Right. So, but we, what will happen then? Is somebody will say, have you ever finished anything? Right. You say, oh yeah, I finished this thing. Oh, why haven't you submitted it? Well, because... It's my baby and I don't want to. And then you'll start to get a discussion. So it's easier to make the decision. It is easier to to decide and, and to say and to be okay with yourself that you wrote this for you and you're not ready. It is okay. It's easier to do that than to deal with all of the voices from people who are well-meaning, who are trying to encourage you. And I, I hope you could hear the air quotes around encourage you. I um, did. And because I made air quotes. <laughs> so I'm glad you could hear them. <laughs> They're trying to encourage you and get you do get you to do the best thing for you in your writing by submitting it. And that's just the thing is if you don't finish, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to deal with it. Because people people are bought into the idea that the great American novel takes time. So if you tell them, "Oh, I'm still working on it." They're going to go, oh, "Okay. Okay. Okay." Well, if you say you're There's done and you also aren't submitting this culture, it, there's also this culture of uh, that we live in now where even your um even something that you consider a leisure activity or a hobby needs to make money. Yeah. If you're working, you need to make money. And people consider writing working, which is good because it is work, but it's not something that I want to make money off of all the time. And people do not get that. It's probably a good thing that I can't make money on fan fiction because if I started making money on fan fiction, I would probably stop liking writing fan fiction. Right, me too. because I'd because I'd feel pressured to do it. I'd feel pressured, like I'm gonna be. I'd be able. I'll be able to afford an extra pair of eyeglasses this year if I if I write ten more fan fiction stories. That's just not a healthy way to approach a hobby that I love. 
Okay. I'm just saying. But people like they 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 expect you to have a side hustle and you know, like your art. Um, are you making money on it? If you're not making money on it, why are you doing it? Last time somebody asked me, I said, Well, what do you do with your evening? Oh, I watch TV. I said, Are you making money on that? Well, no. Well, why are you doing it? They got really flustered with me. But it's like to them it's not the same. And this is a this is a this is a, a variation of the are you wasting your time with fan fiction? Why are you wasting your time with fan fiction? So why are you wasting your time watching The Masked Singer? <laughs> I've not watched that show. I don't actually have an opinion about it. It was just the first thing that popped into my brain. Because there was a dust-up this evening. It shocked a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know some people who incident, especially artists, who incidentally make some money off their art. I'm you not going to spoil it. No, no we're not going to spoilers. But I mean, I, don't, I know some people who incident, sort of like... There's one that I can think of where she has some art stuff where it's like, you don't have to pay for her work, but she like tells you how you can like give her a tip or buy her a cup of coffee or whatever. I do. I do. Um, and the thing is she has a download system, right? And you can put in that you don't want to, that you feel like the price for it is zero. It's actually interesting that you have to put in that the, the price you want to pay for this is zero. It's, it, it's yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's putting it in your face. It's yeah it's putting it in your face that you don't value her stuff um but you know i i told her i wrote her i wrote her and i said i'm i'm just gonna straight up paypal you 50 bucks um because i want to download a bunch of stuff and i don't want like a billion one dollar transactions or something on, on, on my on my paypal account it will annoy me to go through you know paypal that many times and she's like, you don't have to send me $50. I'm like, no, I feel like I do. I think it's lovely. So here you go. Here's 50 bucks. But whatever. I was just like, here. It's but, here you here's 50. me download a whole bunch of stuff and I say zero on it. But I don't mean zero. I just don't want to do all these transactions individually. Right. Because <laughs> I just, that's just the way I think. I'm like, here's 50 bucks. Don't, don't judge me when you get a bunch of, she thinks this, this, this is worth zero. I would feel judged. I was like, fine. <sighs> five dollars. <laughs> But she's you know, the thing is, this clearly isn't a living for her. Yeah, you know, she's got a day job. She just does art because she loves it, and she takes commissions and she lets people, if they want to, they can tip her for the stuff that they use of hers, and it's cool. You know, I mean, it's cool. I, I have no problem with that. Fan fiction writers are not the same thing. It is not the same category, folks. You cannot make money on somebody else's copyrighted characters, but you can make your own. Mm-hmm. I'm on. I'm on chapter four. <laughs> <laughs> Go write your own stuff. Although realistically, the realistically, most writers aren't going to make much money publishing anymore. There are there everything's they're going to be J.K. Rowling. It's just it's just that that's like a one in a million shot. And you might as well just plan on winning the lottery. Literally one in a million. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, are thousands upon thousands of, of of books published on Amazon every single day. Akira's going to sell well. That's not even the point. Um, I have an audience. I have a built-in audience. But I have an audience that some will buy um, the gay romance and some won't. And then I'll have an, a, a het romance in this particular series. And um, people who didn't buy the gay one might buy the het one if they think that it will stand on its own. It will. Um, I have readers who will buy both. I'm going to write women that, with a gender-neutral character that I don't expect to sell well. Um, but I'm in love with the character, so I'm going to write the story. I'm, I'm going to write their story, and um, and 
it isn't going to hurt my feelings if no one buys it. And I hurt my publisher's feelings. <laughs> if they contract it. Your publisher not, might... Your publisher, well, I don't think this one's, and the publisher might say that to you, but well, I don't think this one's going to sell as well as your other works because of the character you've chosen or because it's, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, if, if that's the case, I might offer it free on my site as a, as a supplementary read. Well, I have a feeling that, you know, I mean, you, I think you sell pretty well for your publisher, so they might be willing to give it a shot and see how it sells. But because you never know what your publisher is going to say until you ask them. I don't mean you specifically, but, you know. I've talked to a couple of publishers about female female stories, and they basically kind of all give me the example, like, well, you can say that this was basically what I've heard across the board. You can write it, you can submit it, we'll consider it. It's not going to sell well. <laughs> I don't care how good it is, which is un which is unfortunate. Honestly. I mean, it's, it's also it's really unfortunate because where is that market? Where are these lesbian readers hiding? I mean, yeah, <laughs> some lesbians read. I know. <laughs> So, so why aren't they buying these books? Why aren't they out there supporting these the um these authors writing these, um, these books that represent them? Well, I had somebody tell me I said, "Oh, that's not true. There, there's a huge market for, um, you know, lesbian romance." I'm like, "Okay, well, publishers where? don't seem to know about it. What, where are these books that are selling so well?" And then they'd be like, you know, the example they gave me was like, "Oh, this so and so's book sold a hundred hundred copies," and I was like, "That's that's not an audience." That depending on the price of the book, that might cover the cost of cover art. I said, "Well, here's the thing: is actually for some books, for some some authors, a hundred hundred copies might actually be um, <laughs> darks lesbians must still read print books. Um, I don't know; they're hoarding all that lesbian romance because it was. I don't, I'm not sure it was ever really printed all that much, but a hundred hundred copies for some authors is probably is pretty good, right?" There's some ebooks, some people report I've sold five copies and they're really depressed about it. And I get it. I do. I get it. So 100 copies might actually not be that bad. Some authors, some publishers might be like, okay, we'll take a gamble on that. But if that's the best example you can come up with, that is not selling well. That's not an audience. And if you want representation, you need to support the materials. I mean, you need to get out there and support it. You need to get out there and ask for it. Um, otherwise, I mean, because I mean, publishers I'm, aren't going to invest that kind of money in um, in cover art and in editing, um, and then get with knowing that they're not going to get anything out of it. And you know, I will say, I will say, it's not like it's not like I haven't tried to find. I'm sure there's some good lesbian romance out there. I'm sure. It's out there, okay? And I'm not asking for maybe to send me stuff because I don't honestly I don't trust people anymore. <laughs> It'll scare me. But it's fair. It's fair. Um but there was um I did try when I was on KU, you know, because I was on KU for a blip before I found out like for starters I wasn't finding anything to read that I liked on it. I'm just gonna be straight with it, right? When I was on KU, I wasn't finding anything to read. She means Kendall Unlimited for those of you who don't didn't get the acronym. Oh, sorry. Is that the right word acronym? Yep. Kindle Unlimited. Okay. Yeah. So when I was on KU, uh, as a as a reader, I've never been on KU as a writer. I I wasn't finding things to read. I was checking out a bunch of stuff and I was noping out of it like like that. So I did try to read some lesbian romance. And I was like, huh, when did we bring back the forced seduction trope? 
I'm like for seduction and like it, but but oh why? yeah yeah right right I was like I guess because there's there's some people out there who have a fantasy about being forced to be a lesbian like being forced to like it like being forced um, somebody showing you that how wonderful it is I was like uh, I and I thought I thought surely this is a one off nope no. nope five or six books later I was like oh my god. Oh my God! I mean, this isn't okay in in we. This isn't okay in in het romance. Why are why am I, why we got this in lesbian romances right now? I don't understand. I was really butt hurt. I thought about leaving some nasty <laughs> reviews, but that's just not my. <laughs> but but if you look at the trend in fandom, it's it's pretty much the same, isn't it? I mean, like what's popular, like in original fiction markets, um, kind of mirrors what's popular in fandom. And how popular is Femslash in fandom? Not, not. I mean, not. I got grief for having a uh, lesbian couple in Sentinels of Atlantis. So much grief that I went and immediately added a a lesbian sex scene to <laughs> one of my stories because fuck you, <laughs> don't tempt me. <laughs> Because Aunt Heldy will get laid. <laughs> That's right. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with people. I, I really don't. It, it, it is that there's that something deeply wrong with people. Um, I don't know what fantasy that is. Somebody want, needs fulfilled that that they think that the the cool way to find out that you're a lesbian is to have somebody, you know, kind of force themselves on you as you're getting out of the shower and make you like it. <sighs> That, not that that's I, how I throw hands. I mean, I'm just saying that even at my not, age, that's how I throw hands. Not that I'm not not that I'm bitter or anything about this experience. But, um, <laughs> she's having she's a little booty bothered by it. I am totally booty bothered. I'm, but I'm not having a tushy tantrum because if I'd been having a tushy tantrum, I'd have I'd have left feedback. Boxers, I'd have left <laughs> feedback. I'd have said, "What the fuck? For seduction, really? What is the matter with you?" <laughs> Never mind. I know everything's wrong with you. <laughs> but you know what? There there is an audience for that crap across the board. It's not just a lesbian romance, let's just be honest. Um there's a reason why all that shit was really popular in the 80s and 90s. It's not PC to enjoy it now, but there is an audience for it. But the thing is with like things like Kindle Unlimited or fan fiction is no one has to know that you like it. Right? You can just go and, and read your creepy ass forced seduction rapey stories and no one has Light to know porn. you don't no one has to know that that's what you like so you know it must seem like it's just a treasure trove that you can go to kindle unlimited and get all these stories that ugh, i personally don't like those kinds of rude surprises but you know and i did actually at one point look to see if you know, fandom was going to do better um, in this regard. It, and really, not really. Um, I think that there are a couple really popular um, femme slash pairings, uh, but they're not characters or shows I'm particularly into. So it just... Never... I'd say probably what, Xena and Gabri um, um, Gabriella? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would really like to um, read a really good redemption arc for Natasha um, and pair her with a with a really strong badass woman. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, and, and you know, the thing is, that's 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 a project I the type of project I would even might might be tempted by. Except I'm still too salty, right? 
I mean, I mean, action I w- art for Tasha would have to probably start with, um, well, probably um, in the middle of Iron Man one before she's ever used as a honeypot. Um, to where it's just pointed out, hey, you know, actually, what you know, actually, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in being, you know, going into this as a whore. So, do you have any other options? <laughs> Why don't you send Clinton as a honeypot? Yeah, right. He's cute. He has a nice ass. But see, the thing is that where it exists in in apparently that it's done well, and then I've heard this before, is in fandoms I don't follow, and honestly, I'm not interested in. Um, I'm not. I'm not interested in anime. I'm just not. So, um, uh, yeah. If, I, well, if, I, if on I, that note, please don't send me any stories. I don't want no. recommendations from this. Um, it, when I'm in the mood for it, I will go back to the MCU. Today is not that day. <laughs> I'm actually contemplating a an, an, another Tony um, Loki uh, story. Um, I have I, I have an idea. I have a little idea. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm all for ideas. But um, let's end the podcast here. And um, we can continue to talk. But I'm out of tea. Um, which is crazy cakes. And we'll help um, with titling. But um, unless you guys have any questions. I don't think there's this, is, this really isn't a question podcast. This is more like a bitchy podcast. Which you know is kind of like my jam right now. For obvious reasons. A little stress relief on my part. Um so uh, say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.